It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You've no doubt heard a lot about supply chain issues going on in this country and around the world. The ports of L.A. and Long Beach have ramped up getting products in from all over the place. But those products also have to be delivered. And truck drivers spend some grueling long hauls on the road making it happen. Some even live full time in those big rigs driving across the country and keeping the supply chain moving. But aside from the old greasy spoons or truck stops that dot American landscapes, a trucker has to eat. And a lot of truckers actually cook their own food. In their rigs, everything from sandwiches to roasted yams to the beloved green bean casserole. New York Times reporter Priya Krishna looked into it, and she joins us now, along with Christy Burton, a truck driver based out of Ohio. Welcome to you both. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Priya, you you talked to several truck drivers for your article called A Holiday Feast Cooked in the Cab of a Truck. Tell us uh, about some of the setups that these, these drivers have. Um, I mean, I was just absolutely amazed at the setups that people had. And, you know, when you look at a truck, the cab is just that small piece in the front. And in that, you know, people are growing herbs. They set up grills. They um, have slow cookers going. Some people even have sinks. Um, just the level of innovation was pretty amazing that I saw. And and the meals they're making, I mentioned the green bean casserole. I mean, we're talking like pretty innovative stuff, too, I would imagine. I was able to ride in the truck of um, one trucker. Her name was Dina McKinney, and she has a rotisserie in her truck that she was planning on <laughs> using to basically make like a, you know, roast duck for for the holidays. So. You know, there's really no limit to what if you can make it in your kitchen at home, you can probably make it in a truck. Christy, you run a Facebook group called Cooking in Your Semi Truck. Uh, It has more than 4000 members. Why did you make this group? I actually came into the group about three months ago. It was actually Adrian who made the group. He needed a little bit of assistance, so I stepped up and kind of took over the reins to get more people in there and spread the wealth of knowledge that we have out here. Are you in your cab right now? I actually am, yes. What What do you have in there to cook with and, and what are you preparing? Okay, so my particular truck that I'm in right now, we're one of the lucky ones that do have a sink. Let's get that out of the way. Um, we have a sink. We have a two-burner cooktop. We have a fry pan. We have a saucepan. And then we get into the more complicated stuff, like my husband's portable smoker that he carries with us so he can make brisket and all that sort of stuff. Um, We have a, it's kind of like the three-in-one gallons microwave where you have the, you know, convection and the air fry, but ours is actually by Cuisinart. And that's pretty much all we need, and we can make some fantastic meals. Is there well? All right, so many questions here. Number one, you got to have water, right? You have a sink. Yes. Where do you get Where do you get water into that sink? 
So our truck has a 10-gallon water tank, and a lot of the times you have to hook up to the water at the truck stop. But with it becoming a little bit colder out here, my husband and I actually went to Harbor Freight, and we bought a transfer pump. So we buy gallons of water, and we use the transfer pump to transfer it from the gallon bottles to our tank, and we're good to go. All right. So So you always have water. Yep. Um, you need electricity. Obviously, you have a, a large battery on that truck in order to yes. get the, <laughs> no pun intended, the juice that's needed to make the food that you're you're making in there, and yep. and the accoutrement. Like as as far as like the you know you're talking about this this convec- convection toaster air fryer contraption. You have those things. Do you worry about like a fire? No, not at all. Is there enough space? I mean, I look. I've I've lived in some small, you know, hovels in my life with with you know really tiny kitchens. I can't imagine trying to cook in a cab. You make it work, and the big thing is, is you know, a lot of people need to realize with dealing with the porch shutting down or a lot of restaurants shutting down because of COVID. We had to make it work, so that's what we did. You mentioned the ports shutting down, the ports of L.A. and Long Beach. Well, they, they've ramped up their operations in order to get the supply chain moving again and, and get those products out all over the place. You've, you've, you've served the Southern California area, right? You're in Ohio right now. I'm in Ohio right now. I actually uh, drive for V3 Transportation. I'm an owner-operator, but we are leased onto them. And they actually have a couple of very good customers that are based out of Calexico and Thousand Oaks and all of the areas along there. So we are there quite often. And you mentioned, you know, in the introduction about living in your truck. My husband and I live in this truck. We go home maybe once a year for a week or two. And other than that, we're out here and we're facing it and we're battling it. Priya, you mentioned that the, the drivers sometimes have a hard time during the holidays. I can imagine. They're they're on the road. They're away from families. I mean, Christy has her husband there, so that's good news. But h- how do the drivers that you spoke with feel about the holidays, you know, this time of year? We're just coming out of Christmas and New Year's. I spoke to one driver. His name is JD. And, you know, he was really refreshingly outspoken about the mental health issues that many drivers face while on the road and how hard it can be for them. During the holidays, you know, when they're seeing all of their friends and family get together and, you know, share drinks and they see it on social media and they're kind of alone in the cab of their truck. So I think what's really wonderful is for people like him, for JD, cooking a really nice meal for himself um, kind of as a way of staving off that those feelings of loneliness. It's kind of therapeutic, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. Christy, were you working during the holidays, you and your husband? We were. We were actually out your way. We uh, picked up in Reno, and we had to go down to Mississippi. And I can completely understand the sentiment of being alone. You know, my husband and I have a 15-year-old daughter that would have loved to see us. But, again, trying to deal with this, you know, chain issue, the supply chain issue, where we were out here, we were working, we were trying to alleviate it a little bit as much as we can do our part did you make anything special for the holidays uh, my husband actually did a pork butt he smoked a pork butt and we nibbled on that as we were driving down the road yeah nibbled 
Yeah, nibbled. <laughs> it's about the best you can do when you're in the hammer lane, you know, going down the highway well, are, and you nibble. Explain that. I mean, hammer because you're you're on a you're you're on a a schedule, right? You got to be somewhere this itinerary. You got to I mean, that's got to be tough trying to have a meal while you're doing that. It, but it's but then tough. you also get to rest too, right? Well, the over the holidays we did not get to rest very much. We were on several loads back to back and you know v3 is actually an expedite company so we are the emergency crew of of the trucking industry so things that had to be there yesterday that's what we're doing um many times we are driving coast to coast in 40 hours so we don't really have time to sit down and enjoy a meal together we prep cook we sit down on the weekend we'll smoke a pork butt or a brisket or something like that stick it in the refrigerator and we microwave it as we go 40 hours from coast to coast. Yep. That sounds tiring and dangerous, too. I mean, do you guys alternate, you know, who drives, who doesn't drive, who rests, things like that? Yeah. We're only allowed to drive 11 hours per person and then rest for 10, and the next person takes over again. It's all part of team driving, but it does get tiring when you're, you know, trying to sleep driving down the road, but you get used to it. Like I said, we've been doing this for 16 years. It's part of life now. I want to thank you for talking about it, and, and happy holidays to you. Bon appetit, I should say. Christy Burton, a truck driver based out of Ohio. New York Times reporter Priya Krishna, thank you to you both. Happy New Year. White supremacy is the sickness. With the surge of the Omicron variant across the country, many local officials are considering new restrictions to try to limit the spread. In Portland, Maine, several local restaurants are now calling on the city council to require customers to get vaccines. Maine Public Radio's Robbie Feinberg has more. In November of 2019, Isaac McDougall opened his cocktail bar, Cocktail Mary. Just a few months later, the pandemic upended those plans. So I have been operating very, very cautiously throughout this entire pandemic in an effort to kind of build clientele and create a space that felt safe for everybody. I didn't have a huge client base coming into this pandemic. So I was kind of walking a pretty thin line throughout the whole thing. For more than a year, Cocktail Mary only offered to-go cocktails or limited outdoor seating. The bar opened for indoor dining just a few months ago, with precautions. McDougal says he keeps groups of staff members on the same shifts with each other to limit potential exposure. And once indoor service resumed, vaccines were required for staff and patrons. Honestly, I haven't gotten any I haven't had any problems. Everyone has a picture of their vaccine card on them and or the vaccine card on their person. And everyone feels more comfortable and much more able to relax and much more at ease knowing that everyone else inside is vaccinated. Now, McDougal and other Portland restaurant owners are petitioning the city to require proof of vaccination for certain indoor public spaces, including eateries. As of last week, about a dozen restaurants had signed, only a fraction of the total number in the city. Supporters argue that a mandate would help both workers and diners feel safer and help restaurants stay open during the current wave of COVID-19 cases. My goal with setting this petition is to protect our frontline workers and our healthcare workers and keep them out of the hospital. The petition comes as the Portland City Council is set to consider new COVID-19 restrictions on Monday night. That includes reinstituting a mask mandate, which had been in place across the state through May. Certain businesses requiring vaccines would be exempted. 
Cities including Boston and Chicago have added their own vaccine requirements amidst the surge of the Omicron variant. But other restaurant owners have already pushed back on the Portland petition, saying businesses should be able to decide on their own if they want to require vaccines. Greg Dougal with the trade group Hospitality Maine says he's still waiting for more details on the plan before weighing in. We have been primarily opposed to mandates. I can't say what our opinion will be on this particular one because, again, we have not seen it. Whether Portland will institute new mandates will likely emerge on Monday night when the city council is set to meet next. For NPR News, I'm Robbie Feinberg in Portland, Maine. And the other kids got McDonald's. They outside go, we got McDonald's, hamburgers, McDonald's, McDonald's. I got McDonald's. Several women say what happened here at this Mason McDonald's was not only unbearable, It was illegal, and now a federal judge is ruling that a sexual harassment suit filed against the company who owns it can move forward as a class action lawsuit. The suit was originally filed back in 2019 and amended this summer. It alleges that a swing manager sexually harassed nearly 100 women and girls, sometimes groping them or propositioning them for sex. His harassment was heard by all, seen by all, Um, and you didn't have to be standing next to him to be subjected to his abuse. You could be in another part of the restaurant and still um, be subjected to a torrent of sexual talk or touching or abuse directed at other people or even just um, sexual talk about his own exploits that he was deciding to share with others, um, and and everyone else had to listen to it. One of the victims testified she was coerced into having sex with the manager in exchange for more hours on the schedule. Another claims the manager put his penis in her hand when they were working next to each other. Many of these women complained to upper management, but despite that, the manager worked there for four years. Thomas says Wednesday's ruling is a victory for the victims because many come from disadvantaged backgrounds. These are among the most vulnerable workers for a variety of reasons. They tend to be younger. They may have less formal education and so be less um, knowledgeable about their rights. They may have more tenuous economic circumstances because they're making minimum wage. And so today's ruling means the class action lawsuit against the franchise owner MLMLM can move forward. Thomas tells Fox 47 News there is a conference in the Western District Federal Court scheduled for January 31st. A trial date will be set at that time. We did reach out to McDonald's but have not heard back. Reporting from Mason, Erica Murphy, Fox 47 News. New York. New York. New York. The New York City Council last month passed a bill that requires private employers to post the salary range for all open jobs. The law is set to take effect in April. Similar laws already exist in a handful of places around the country. Their goal is to improve pay transparency and tackle inequities that often affect women, black and brown people, and other groups. To learn more about these laws, we called someone who studies them. Professor Teresa Gilarducci teaches economics and policy at the New School of Social Research in New York. Professor Gilarducci, welcome. Hello. Hi, Adrian. What exactly does this new law require of, of New York employers? Well, um, New York employers, um, if the mayor signs it and it will go into effect four months later, will require that job postings have a, a range, a narrow range of salary. Um, so instead of 
workers applying for jobs, figuring out where their best match is, what, you know, what their move is by just sort of guessing what that new job might pay. Uh, workers will know, you know, what the market is, is paying. What the research shows and every labor economist knows and teaches is that if salaries are kept secret, the employer pays less than they otherwise would. They gain more profits um, than they otherwise would. Um, job mobility is hindered. And the most desperate workers, the ones who have less mobility, less bargaining power, will be hurt the most. Proponents of the law uh, also argue that more pay transparency would help close gender and racial uh, wage gaps. How so? Let's talk about gender. Let's talk about women. Um, women are often um, less likely to move for a better job. They're kind of tied to a particular location um, or a commute schedule because of their family. Um, so they're reluctant to do market checks, you know, to go out and to see what they actually are worth, you know, for historically gender division of labor reasons. Um, if pay was transparent, the employer would have to kind of fess up that they're probably paying their their male workers more, you know, for fear of losing those male workers where they don't have that fear with female workers. So it should close the gender gap um, probably overnight. Um, I, I've had that experience in my own workplace when I was at um, teaching at the University of Notre Dame. We uh, women professors revealed our pay, found out what the pay was of our male um, colleagues, you know, who had exactly the same job, the same number of articles, the same footnote and references and citations. And um, our pay went up overnight by tens of thousands of dollars. You know, so I suspect that the gender pay gap will be closed and the, the effect will be immediate. Um, with um, non-white male workers, um, I suspect that it will take a little bit longer, even though we'll have the same effect on initial negotiations being more fair for the for the non-white male worker. But over time, um, employers will probably actually pay the uh, black men and brown men more money even before they post the salary, because if they post the salary, then their current workers will know that they're being underpaid. So I suspect a month before the bill goes into effect, we'll see a lot of pay inequity being solved across the board. I imagine there are a lot of employers out there who say, hey, you know, we need the ability to pay some people a lot more than others, even within the same job title, because some employees are much better performers than others. This could hurt our ability to retain good workers. What, what do you say? I say that any pay difference has to be explained. And if the pay difference can't be explained, then it's inexplicable and unfair. What I will tell um, my colleagues, the employers, is if you have a transparent pay and merit system, that you're quite clear about what's expected on the job and what a good job is and what a medium job is and what a poor job is, then you'll have no problem paying different um, people different wages you know, or bonuses um, because of their performance. But if you're not clear about why you're paying um, somebody more than another person in the same job category, then it's probably because you're being unfair. So what it will do for employers is really up their game. They'll become better managers. They'll be clearer to themselves about what the job description is and what um, good performance in that job is. 
You know, one of the things we've seen during this pandemic is is some of the power that employers have long had over work conditions, pay, shifting to employees who've realized, hey, maybe things don't have to be the way they've always been. Maybe I can work from home. Maybe I can afford to quit and find a better paying job. Uh, do you see this move by New York City as, as being sort of a validation of that shift and, 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 and the way to urge it yeah. along? We're seeing a period of what people have called in the press the great resignation. Um, I think it's the uh, the take your job and shove it uh, <laughs> movement, you know, where people are, are finally are, are seeing that they don't have to put up with not so much the pay, but the working conditions that has alarmed employers. And the city council is um, responding to that and will actually help out employers that your employees won't have to quit to do a market check. So I could see the city council being advised by very conservative economists to say, hey, if everybody all at once, you know, peels off the band-aid and, um, and reveals the salary, there may not be so much um, quitting just to find out what other people are, are, are being paid. That was Teresa Gilarducci. She's the Irene and Bernard L. Schwartz Professor of Economics and Policy Analysis at the New School of Social Research in New York. Professor Gilarducci, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. Exactly how diverse is the United States? NPR has been taking a closer look at the leaders of the Census Bureau who are supposed to answer that question. And we found that the federal agency is led mostly by white people. That raises concerns about the data the country relies on, as NPR's Hansi Lo Wong reports. It's been more than a decade since Monica Garcia Perez first walked through the glass doors of the Census Bureau's headquarters. She was a researcher there for three years. Do you remember the years? 2006 to 2009. Yes, I know. <laughs> I would never forget those years. <laughs> she was working on her PhD in economics when she helped develop data analysis projects at the Bureau. And during her time there, Garcia Perez, who was born in Caracas, Venezuela, says she rarely saw or heard people like her. You will see Latinos mostly in service work by the lunchroom, or you will hear Spanish in those areas, but I personally did not see that within the units that I interacted with. Starting next month, the Bureau is expected to be led by a statistician who will become the first Latino and second ever person of color to head the U.S. Census. But NPR analyzed the latest public data on the permanent full-time staff under the Bureau's director, and we found the Bureau has not met its goal of achieving, quote, a workforce that reflects the rich diversity of the American public that we serve, unquote. Its senior executives mostly identified as white, not Latino, and male. I think what it has been done, it has been done professionally. It's what could be done and what other discussions could be open if there were more diversity in the organization. People of color make up more than 42% of the U.S. population, but only about 23% of the Bureau's executives identified as either American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian, Black, Latino, Pacific Islander, or multiracial. Some census watchers say they're concerned this lack of diversity has persisted for years at the same agency that has undercounted people of color decade after decade. We need people to understand firsthand, ideally, the obstacles, the barriers, and the systematic exclusion that so many populations have faced in this country. Desi Small-Rodriguez is an assistant professor of sociology at UCLA who is Chicana and a citizen of the Northern Cheyenne Nation and has served as an outside advisor to the Bureau. And it's really difficult to do that if you're a white man because you've never experienced that in your life in this country. 
Undercounts in the census have produced inaccurate data that's used to distribute political representation and federal money to states and local communities. With so much at stake, it's becoming more and more important to track the cultural competencies of the Bureau's leaders, says Arturo Vargas, CEO of the National Association of Latino Elected and Appointed Officials Educational Fund. I had to advocate for the Census Bureau to look at the full diversity of the Latino population. When the Bureau was researching how to encourage Latinos to participate in the 2020 census, there were initially no plans to hold specific focus groups with Latinos who primarily speak English. They could not comprehend the reality that a large segment of the Latino population does not consume its information exclusively in Spanish. The Census Bureau declined to make a representative available for an interview for this story, but said in a statement that it's, quote, committed to attracting, developing, and retaining a diverse and inclusive workforce. Still, there is a long-standing reason why the Bureau has not made major progress on its diversity goals. According to Arnold Jackson, the Bureau's former associate director of the 2010 census, who first joined the Bureau in the 1980s. I was told by the highest level people in the organization who had recruited and hired me that the culture of the organization was best viewed as a tribal culture. With a lot of people sharing similar backgrounds, and Jackson, who is African-American, says they often end up replicating themselves, which in turn limits promotions for staffers of color. I've seen kids go two or three years into their professional careers and just not know what's going on, but that something is amiss. To keep up with the country's demographics, though, the Bureau will need more economists, statisticians, and other technical experts of color who want to work in public service. And that requires investment now, according to Monica Garcia Perez. It's a place that I really wish a lot of Latinos had a chance to experience because it's a place where people will learn and will be able to grow. She says the problem is that's still harder for some groups to do than others. Hansi Luong, NPR News. This is KUOW. I'm Paige Browning. Washington state officials say Amazon has stonewalled workplace safety inspectors who are investigating the company's warehouses. This comes after state officials this spring filed a citation against Amazon, saying the company was violating the law with its pace of work and creating a hazardous environment for workers. Joining us to explain the latest is Catherine Long, a Seattle-based senior tech reporter for Business Insider. Hey, Catherine. Hey, Paige. Thanks so much for having me. So glad that you could be with us today. Could you just remind me, how did this all start? So back in the fall of 2020, uh, the investigative news outlet Reveal published a story showing that injuries at Amazon warehouses are more than twice the industry average. And these are injuries like uh, back sprains and strains, carpal tunnel syndrome, repetitive stress injuries that come from workers doing the same thing over and over again at what some workers say are relentlessly high speeds. Uh, At some warehouses, including uh, one warehouse in DuPont, Washington, uh, Mm. workers get injured even more often on average. DuPont is home to the most dangerous large Amazon warehouse in the United States, where workers get injured on average six times more often than workers in non-Amazon warehouses. So state officials uh, started investigating the DuPont warehouse pretty soon after the reveal story was published last year, and uh, their their findings were uh, groundbreaking in scope. Mm. So what did they conclude? 
They found that uh, the pace of work at Amazon's warehouses uh, and the lack of a standardized ergonomics program was violating the law and creating hazardous working conditions for Amazon workers. Now, Amazon has appealed that citation, but if it's upheld, it could force Amazon to fundamentally change how it operates its warehouses. So that brings us up to speed to where we are now. So Amazon got cited for workplace safety issues. And then what? What's happened after that citation and the findings about the injuries at the warehouses? Well, what we know from a court filing from earlier this month is that state workplace safety inspectors say that ever since they issued this citation to Amazon, the company has been attempting to obstruct inspectors' efforts to monitor safety in other Amazon warehouses. Hmm. Uh, This filing was actually a request for a warrant that would force Amazon to allow inspectors to enter warehouses and would force Amazon to turn over some information that workplace safety inspectors were looking for. Um, The reason that this warrant was was necessary is that inspectors say Amazon has been trying to stonewall their efforts to make sure that the warehouses are being operated in a manner that's safe for employees. So the state is saying that Amazon and, and Amazon officials have actually tried to bar inspectors from coming into warehouses, say, in, in DuPont and Kent? That's right. Inspectors said that uh, Amazon has on two occasions attempted to bar them from entering warehouses. They said that uh, uh, Amazon has instructed employees that they don't need to comply with the inspection. Uh, One inspector said that when she was monitoring some workers, Amazon would repeatedly tell those workers that they should leave, that they should go on break or (laughs) go go Hmm. do training elsewhere so that the inspector wasn't able to monitor them. The company is refusing to give inspectors access to data, and Amazon is also objecting to the use of some wearable technology that would monitor how often employees are exposed to ergonomic risks. Where do things stand now? Is Amazon starting to comply, or what's the status? A judge granted inspectors' request for a warrant, meaning that uh, inspectors do have uh, more unfettered access to Amazon's warehouses. But we don't really know the extent to which Amazon has changed how it's operating its warehouse in DuPont, where inspectors issued that groundbreaking citation earlier this year. Uh, The company has asked uh, the state to uh, request that it not be required to abate the situation that uh, inspectors found was damaging workers' health and safety. Uh, The state denied that request. So in theory, Amazon is needing to, to reform uh, how how workers are treated and how how fast they're they're expected to move at this warehouse, but we don't have any hard details about what is actually happening. I'm curious if this is an instance where Amazon, the company, has decided there are things that they don't want inspectors to see, or they've decided that they they feel there's overreach by inspectors. Have we heard what Amazon thinks of this? Amazon told me that it disagrees with inspectors' claims that it had obstructed their access to facilities, and it said that it, it is complying with uh, with the inspections. Other than that, I <laughs> I haven't gotten much out of the company. And my final question, Catherine, what happens next? What should we be watching for? I'm most curious to see how Amazon abates uh, the workplace hazards at its DuPont warehouse. I think that that could potentially give some clues as to how it might change warehouses nationwide 
if this citation is upheld. Well, so glad that we could have you on today and appreciate your reporting on this. Catherine Long, senior tech reporter at Business Insider. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Listen, just touching on some real issues right here tonight. That's That's all. That's all. I want y'all to observe the excellence here. BX providing the Sonics, my man, Minnesota. I'm letting the beat ride out because it's a part that I like when it come up. You know what I'm saying? I take this time to say what's up to my family. <laughs> you hear that? You know what I'm saying? For sure. Just observe the excellence of that. That's many. Hey, back. Fall back. Uh-uh. With the guitars. It's hip-hop music. It's good enough to speak for itself. And you got to do right by it. Minnesota. Ain't no black people in Minnesota. After more than 25 years on the job, Duluth Assistant Fire Chief Clint Reff is retiring today. And when he does, there will be only one remaining African-American firefighter in Duluth in a department of about 130 people. Dan Crocker reports on the effort to recruit more diverse fire departments in Duluth and beyond. When Clint Reff was a young kid growing up in Duluth, there was one black firefighter in the Duluth Fire Department, Ernie Butler. And Ernie lived in our neighborhood. So you'd see him and you knew he worked for the fire department. Just when I was younger, he started talking to me about the fire service, getting involved in it. Ref grew up, went to high school, joined the army. But every time he saw Butler, the firefighter would tell him, go to fire school, join the fire department. Then when Ref was about 30 years old, he got laid off from his job in a local foundry. Just so happened I saw him again. You need to go and do this. And I'm like, I'm ever going to do it. Now's the time. So I went to school and finally listened after about the 20th time he talked to me about it. And in 1996, Ref became Duluth's second African-American firefighter. The jobs changed a lot since he first started. The Duluth department responded to more than 14,000 calls this year, and most of them weren't fires. It's almost like if it's not involving a knife or a gun, then people are calling the fire department and and we respond. Whether it's a mental health crisis or a health emergency or a rescue on Lake Superior. Ref feels fortunate he's been able to work as a firefighter in Duluth for nearly 26 years. He says he'll miss the people he works with and serving the community. One of his final accomplishments was to help create a scholarship fund through the local union to help women and members of other underrepresented groups become firefighters. It's named after Ernie Butler and Pamela Watts, the first female firefighter in Duluth. Ref says after years of talking about diversity, it was time for action. I was truly done having the conversation because I've had it in my career, like say five, six times already. So union members decided to fund the scholarships out of their own pockets. This year, the scholarship paid for nine people to take classes at a local community college to obtain the certifications they need to apply to the fire department. Adam Casillas is president of the International Association of Firefighters Local 101 in Duluth. That's more than a start. I, I mean, one or two or three would have been amazing. Casillas says firefighters want to have a positive impact every time they respond to a call. And for the fire department to do that, we felt we needed to be better representative of the community. And if not even more representative than what the community is. We want to be diverse and have multiple backgrounds to pull from so we can be at our best in their time of need. Out of about 130 firefighters in Duluth, there are seven women, one African-American with REF's retirement, and just a handful of Native Americans and members of other underrepresented groups. Nationally, only about 4% of firefighters are women, and people of color make up only about 15% of firefighters' ranks. 
Both Minneapolis and St. Paul have departments that are much more diverse than those national averages, but it took legal action to help get them there. A lawsuit filed in the 1970s led to the integration of what at the time was an all-white Minneapolis department. A different suit in the 1980s against the St. Paul department led to the hiring of more women. Melanie Rucker, an assistant fire chief in Minneapolis, says to build a more diverse workforce, departments have to actively recruit for it. Rucker says she was inspired to apply more than 20 years ago after she heard an ad on KMOJ radio in Minneapolis. This was mainly a predominantly white male profession. So people of color don't see, you know, you see it, you can be it. And when you don't see it and you don't realize this is an opportunity for you, you you know, you're not going to apply for it. Now, she says, people of color in the department actively visit local community groups to help inspire others. You know, and I, I'll come out. I'm an African-American female myself. And I want them to look at me and say, huh, if she can do it, I can do it. Back in Duluth, Clint Ref and others are hopeful the fire department could soon further diversify its ranks. Several retirements and military deployments have opened up about 20 new positions to be filled early in the new year. Dan Crocker, NPR News, Duluth. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Friday, January 7th. 2022, so I have been told our very first neutralizing workplace racism of the new year, so-called. Again, not for spectators, uh, this broadcast for active participants, folks who have figured out some strategies, counter-racist codification that works well in the workplace solve problems without creating new problems. If you figured out some things in terms of specifics, wage theft, getting your raises, not being compensated correctly, if you figured out how to neutralize some of those problems, let us know. Vacation days, being interrupted, contacted on your day off, nipping these things in the bud, holiday parties, just thankfully, I think, got through that season for most folks, uh, even though sometimes they will slip uh, one or two of these events uh, in, like, the early part of January. Uh, they'll call it, like, a New Year's type, you know, I don't know, celebration or whatever. Uh, if you've gotten through most of it, or if you maybe got one, you know, last straggling event, uh, if you got any tips from that, tell you the best one, be so well, the two top, sober, take somebody with you. Don't stay too long either. Uh, but if you have any tips that would be helpful for the workplace, let us know. The number is 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 6 one, if you would like to participate. Number again, 720-716-7300, the code 
4943-pound. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, let's see, I'll get a few of my thoughts on some of the reports that we heard. Then we will get to the phone line. Uh, the email untiljustice at gmail.com, untiljustice at gmail.com. Feel free to drop a line. Uh, if you are not able to dial in or are, you know, concerned about being identified, uh, you can email. We can read your commentary anonymously, share your thoughts, or if you have a question, like us to give our attempted counter-racist feedback. All of that said, uh, let's see, the first report, uh, they were talking about the tr uh, truck drivers who were cooking in their vehicle. And they were talking about some of this is a necessity because I guess some of the restaurants and what have you have been closed, places that they may have eaten over the past, I don't know, two years or so, uh, have been closed. And I was like, oh, that's right. A lot of the restaurants and places, if they weren't closed, they were only doing to go. Uh, so you couldn't, you know, go inside to get anything. Uh, truck stop, I mean, that's, you know, the whole point of what you're trying to do is go inside. So it's like, oh, I guess that could be a problem, uh, a long problem since this has been, you know, long-running event now. Uh, and so all of the improv uh, improvisation. Uh, and I thought because we have a number of cows listeners uh, who drive and not just delivery drive, but, I mean, people that do, like, distance driving, like, you know, start in Washington State and we're going to end in South Carolina-type distance. Uh, and just, wow, and they talked about the mental health toll. I hope it's not for cows, listeners. They were talking about people being on the road during the holidays, like, you know, not missing out on white Jesus, even though I would want to be around, you know, attempted family members and such. Uh, but just, man, we have a number of folks uh, who do drive. Uh, I don't know if they have a code for solving some of these problems uh, in terms of food. We've heard some of these folks talk about the difficulties of uh, being a victim of racism and acquiring food while you're out and about on the road and dealing with racism and trying to acquire these meals, uh, just some of the other tackiness. So it would seem like that would be a profession where you would have to be super codified. I did want to make sure I share and pause. I have never done any sort of distance driving, like, you know, we're going to start in, in terms of delivery, like for professions. Never. So I'm not, you know, I'm not an expert. Just saying. One thing, I think if I was going to do that, I would probably give it a try. Having a cooler or some sort of portable uh, refrigerator and, like, a hot plate or what have you, if they're talking about rotisserie chicken and all that, like, just a hot plate, you know. If you got a plug, you can do, like, maybe uh, an air fryer type deal, one of those. But, I mean, I really wouldn't need a whole lot. And I could eat pretty well and then, you know, not have to worry about white people serving me food. Plus, they have so many options. I know, like I said, I never did delivery driving or anything as a job, uh, but I have done a lot of cross-country uh, driving. What we would do is just plot. Where do we think we're going to be stopping at for gas? And then just look online for places that were close that had either uh, plant-based 
grocery stores where we could stock up on food like uh, Sprouts, Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, those type places, or uh, a restaurant, a place that we could eat, where they had all plant-based meals. You know, we could go there and eat, be great, maybe even get some food to go, and then be right. That's the sort of thing that we would do, just plot that out so that when we stopped for gas, bam, that would be tied in. I know it's way different if you are driving an 18-wheeler or what have you. You can't just casually pull into every, uh, you know, Whole Foods or whatever it is. So it's way different in trying to schedule uh, where you're going to get fuel for your person and for the vehicle. Uh, but, man, if I had a refrigerator and a device, a hot plate even, you could get soup. I would fuel up in advance or I would figure out if I could do it on the route. But they have uh, amazing plant-based soups that are not super expensive. You could get those. I would have granola, nuts, produce. You have bananas and what have you. That's, you know, stuff that will easily uh, keep. And like I said, especially if you have, like, a small refrigerator, oh, man, take, you know, all kinds of good stuff. You could cook some things uh, before you get ready to roll and really minimize how often you have to depend on white people. I could you really clown. Like if you have one of those smaller refrigerators that has a small freezer component, oh, man, you have some ice cream in there. Like psh, good times on the road. Uh, let's see. The next segment, even in the midst of we're two years into the Rona situation, all of that no unnecessary touching and can't do handshakes and, virtual this and Zoom that, two years of all this. You can't even get hand sanitizer at the store. And we still got unwanted touching, and not just unwanted touching, they said penis in the hand. Are you serious? Absolutely have to talk to your offspring about racism, white supremacy, and sexual harassment, sexual abuse, especially if they're going to be on a job, male or female. Seems like this does not happen in many instances. And, I mean, imagine that. They said a lot of these folks, these victims were young, and they were so, uh, how shall I say, trifling with the description, that's all racism, white supremacy does, produce a lot of trifling and deceptive behavior. That's another one, too. They were deceptive. They described these victims, penis in the hand, in a workplace. Imagine that being on a job, really any situation, but on a job. And you turn around and someone has placed their penis in your hand. So they said these victims were from disadvantaged backgrounds, socioeconomic status, and all the rest. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. They were younger. Are these non-white people, non-white females? Because they said it was near 100. Are these black, young black girls that were being sexually abused and raped in one instance because they said one of these victims was coerced into sex for more hours 
at McDonald's. Renitia Tate has that in her book, and a lot of that is workplace as well. But she has that in her book, Pieces of a Puzzle. She said that a lot of this, uh, these tragic arrangements, the gutter sex, all of the, or a lot of this happens, work situations especially, especially because non-white people are afraid to tell white people no. In my view, that's rape. You got some supervisor, and I don't know if the perpetrator is a white person or a non-white person. Uh, like I said, it's tacky all the way. Uh, but he comes to you and says, hey, you know, especially if you're a younger person, uh, you know, you want some extra hours, it's tough, you know, make sure you get maybe even a little overtime this week. But, you know. That might mean that you have to, you know, come with me after work or something. That's what Dr. Frances Cress Welsing, when she talks about black self-respect and having like A-plus attempted black parents and other people who care about you, who have told you that this sort of thing is rampant in the workplace so that you are not, like, gobsmacked in this moment. You are not stunned. You're like, oh, mom and dad told me all about this. What did you say exactly? Make sure I get this written down. You already know how to proceed. Somebody puts their penis in your hand, in my opinion, that is an immediate 911 call, like, not do not pass go. It's nothing to think about. That is immediate. Nine one one. I can't even. And I would wager, just because this isn't the first time that we've heard about somebody whipping their penis out and putting it on someone in a workplace environment, I would wager. There was probably a whole lot of buildup to that. Most people don't just come in and whip out their genitals on day one. Like I said, they do a lot of testing us in the workplace. They might start out with the small stuff, mispronouncing your name, misspelling your name, you know, hey, what's up, pimping? We talked about all the tacking, and they just keep saying, oh, okay, okay, I can get a label with a lot. Okay, and I just keep saying, what do they say? You give them an inch, and they take the whole plantation. Cut it at the knees. When they talked about inappropriate jokes, because they talked about that too, they said it was jokes and comments and all of that, bragging about sexual exploits and all of Professional. Make that clear. Even, hey, if you're talking about it in my presence, I don't think that's professional. Is that professional talk for a work environment? You can put it in the form of a question. Especially if it's a manager or a supervisor, like, oh, my gosh, you're supposed to be modeling the best behavior. And that way I'll know, is that professional talk? Is that the way we're supposed to talk in a professional work environment? Hopefully they got cameras, Alexa, all of it. Even McDonald's these days got cameras. Let's see. They gave the report 
on transparency with salary uh, in New York. I believe that's just New York City. I don't think that's the entire New York State, but I'll double-check. Uh, which, you know, bravo, whoopee, they have that in other areas. Uh, but I thought it was so fascinating in that segment, and this was with Teresa Gillarducci, that's it. Teresa Gillarducci, who I suspect is a white woman. I could be in error. You can look at her photos online. Teresa Gillarducci. She used fair a lot in that segment. She was asked via NPR, how do you think transparency, will that impact diversity, equality, gender, and race? And she said, let's talk about race. Let's talk about race. She got so excited. Let's talk about race. Oh, excuse me, gender. Make sure I do that accurately. She got, let's talk about gender. Let's talk about gender. Let's talk about gender. Let's talk about gender. And she talked about all of the ways that women, women's salaries would be corrected. You heard what she said? Overnight. That's another one where I insert white women, I seriously doubt black female salary problems would be corrected overnight by this, but okay. She says women. And then she comes back and she says men. Women, men. Both of those, be accurate. White, especially because after she just says it with so much enthusiasm, this problem will be, and in fact, I think this problem will be corrected before the law even comes into place. Overnight. We'll get, you know, huge bump in salary and all that will be taken care of. She said the problem, it's going to take a little bit longer for non-white males. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We had Professor Athena Matua come on the program. She told us about black male privilege. Black males earn more and all this other why would it take longer for black males, non-white males, why would it take longer for the pay gap to be reduced with regards to their salaries and white men and white women, I suspect? Why would that be? Is there resistance? More difficulty? That seems, to, that seems counterintuitive to a notion of, Blackmail privilege. Anywho, fair was used a lot in that segment as well. Uh, let's see. Uh, even though she did use fair, same segment about salaries being uh, transparent about salaries, she said, if you can't be clear about why this person is being paid more, you're being unfair. And that's one where I just subbed it out. You're being unjust. Might even be practicing racism, white supremacy. But, I mean, you should be able to explain it, even if it's this person contributes. And I'm not really sure how they do it, but these are the things that they contribute. These are the days that they're here and how it impacts our bottom line versus days that they're not here, whatever it is. It should be something. It can't just be, you know, it's filled. And that's it. <laughs> like, no, no. Uh, Got to be something more than that. And I'm sure there's lots of that with why individuals classified as white 
white women and white men consistently are paid more than non-white people. Uh, let's see. Next we had, they talked about the segment on the Census Bureau and how the executive branch, they only have 23% non-white executives for the U.S. Census branch, whereas the country has 43% of the population is non-white. And since they said within the segment that the Census Bureau has historically, and I mean, this is like, you can go back for a good, I'd say 50 years and find this like documented that non-white people are consistently undercounted in the U.S., probably longer than that. So it's probably 50%, probably in that area in terms of the population uh, percentage of non-white people in the U.S. But only 23% of the executive staff, they said, you see a lot of the non-white people doing service work, the cafeteria, cleaning the lavatory. They had Desi Small Rodriguez, sociologist at UCLA. This is audio, so I'm not sure she's classified as white. She said that they were talking about the Census Bureau and how they need to be diverse, you know, need to have more non-white people, be more representative. It's just been all these white guys, white guys, white guys. And she says that white men have never experienced the mistreatment, marginalization. They've never experienced any of that, so it's difficult for them to understand. What did I just say? Can't have a system of white supremacy racism without white women, white men, that sort of thing, so common. You can be a sociologist at UCLA if you talk about racism as white men. White women don't do any of this. And, and even beyond all of that, the problem is not that white men don't understand what the Negro goes through. The problem is individuals classified as white, male and female, are dedicated to practicing white supremacy racism throughout the known universe, all areas of people activity. That is the problem, not white ignorance. See how frequently it pops up? Every time, white ignorance. They just don't know. They just don't know. We just need to get Jane Elliott in. Let's see. Oh, man, I got to give the quote. It was from the same report. So I think this was one of their few black male employees, black privileged male. So let's see. I got his name. I got to read from the exact transcript. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, page scrolled up. Let me see. Let's see. Scroll down. All right, here we go. Arnold Jackson. Mr. Jackson says, I was told by the highest level people in the organization who had recruited and hired me 
that the culture of the organization was best viewed as a tribal culture. Hansi Lo Wang interviewing him with a lot of people showing sharing similar backgrounds and Jackson, who is African American, says they often end up recruiting themselves, which in turn limits promotions for staffers of color non-white people. So this is Mr. Jackson again. I've seen kids go two or three years into their professional careers and just not know what's going on, Marvin Gaye. Uh, I thought that was so important. We, uh, oh, but not know what's going on, but that something is amiss. Indeed it is. And even that, like, you can't even be clued in. Like, they couldn't tell you over three years? Like, you know, you need to hang out more with us, come to the club, take up golfing, like nothing. They just let you languish for three years with no performance upgrade. What's your supervisor doing over that time? If anyone is ignorant about racism, white supremacy, there you go, right there. I know something is amiss. Something is awry. Something is not quite right. But I just can't put my finger on it. That is the person who is confused. Not the non-white person, or excuse me, not the white man and white woman practicing racism, white supremacy, not hiring non-white people or only hiring black people. We got some. We need someone to clean the toilet. Let's hire some niggers. We need someone to serve us grits. We got Black History Month coming up. Make sure they get the grits and waffles together. February is right around the corner. Get some more niggers hired. Let's see. Last one. Just spent all that time talking about Amazon last week and the tornadoes. Remember the report they had a worker, I think they got a text from their wife, said, oh, man, the tornado is coming. You need to get out of there. It's not safe, man. And the job, Amazon, didn't notify. And then he tried to leave. His supervisor prohibited him. Said, you, you're not authorized to leave. You're still on the clock. Get back to work. Right now. Chop, chop. They said they had delivery drivers. They're out in the vehicles going, dropping off packages and what have you. Same thing. Got the information, got the updates via their phone. Like, whoa, tornado's coming. We need to get out of here. No way. In fact, their supervisor told them, you stop delivering those packages, consider that you don't have a job to go to tomorrow morning. And six workers died, some of them at the warehouse. Talked about that last week. They didn't come around this week in Washington State, the Amazon workout, a warehouse. They are denying access to inspectors, telling employees not to cooperate with inspectors, deliberately sending them on breaks when the inspectors arrive so that they can't, you know, observe, document workplace conditions. All of that is exactly what old Gus T has been saying for some time, I was saying that was kind of the theme of 2021 about safety 
and you have to be responsible for your safety in the work environment because that it's not just Amazon. That sort of kind of even heard that they said that they were resistant to having some sort of device, I guess, that could pick up when they were being exposed to harmful chemicals and what have you. Nah, nah, nah. We don't want we, we don't want to do that either. Like what? You have to be most responsible for your safety in the workplace. People like Amazon and stuff, they do not care. It was a different report I'll share it later if we have time. It was in the L.A. Times this week. Uh, they were, oh, I could pause. I think one other thing Gusty has been saying is no unnecessary travel. Ooh-wee. I think they've had like a good two weeks of, oh, my gosh, historic number of flight cancellations, and it continued all through this week. Now, they said the weather, right? We had the big snowstorm here last week, Seattle area, lasted a full week, and all kinds of flight cancellations. Now they had the big snowstorm out on the East Coast, same thing. But in the midst of all that, they said COVID, labor shortages, not having enough staff contributed to all of the madness at the airport. I know that's exactly what they said out here uh, in Seattle, that that was a part of it. The weather, yes, but also we don't have enough staff to deal with all this. Same thing got reported uh, for the hotels, which is tied in, no unnecessary travel. Same thing. They said they fur- uh, furloughed a lot of hotel staff, uh, and now people are starting to get back up and travel and go out and do all that. Problems getting the rooms clean. They don't go in and clean as much anymore because of COVID-19. So just tell me. I can get the details later, but one important aspect, the reason I brought it up was safety injuries. I didn't know the people who clean hotel rooms, they suffer a lot of injuries. Uh, apparently having to move all the furniture and mattresses specifically, they said, uh, these folks are not like bodybuilders uh, or what have you. So a lot of times you can end up pulling muscles and hurting your back and what, especially it's repetitive. You might have to, I guess having to move one mattress might not be such a big deal, but then if you have to move like 15 of them five days a week, might end up being a problem, cause some injuries. Anywho, I will pause there with the reports, although have one more perhaps. We'll see how time goes. The email again, untiljustice at gmail.com. The number, 720 Seven one six seven three hundred. The code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Uh, let's see. We will check the switchboard. See, the first few folks have commentary they would like to share. Incidentally, if it had been perhaps a different week or so, I would have already shared uh, the Supreme Court. They're looking at the vaccine mandate uh, in terms of uh, President Biden requiring employers 
uh, to require their employees to be vaccinated uh, or the testing mandate. Uh, the Supreme Court is supposed to be reviewing or is uh, reviewing all of this right now uh, to see if it's constitutional. Does President Biden even have the authority uh, to do all of this? Uh, and I think some of the initial uh, reports suggest that the Supreme Court, uh, just Brother Clarence Thomas at all, that uh, they may be leaning against the so-called vaccine mandate. But we'll have to see. Let's see. Uh-huh. Check work. Oh, my first, I think the switchboard. Give me one moment to reload, and I'll try again. If you have a hand up, star six one. We will check. Hopefully, folks are not spectating for the new year, 2022. Let's see. All righty. Good evening, may I be heard? Let's see, folks who dialed. Oh, I see some of the folks who dialed in. I feel like I was so, uh, say, clairvoyant, prescient. Some of the folks who, uh, cows listeners who do some of the trucking are listening in. I've been talking about that. Like, see, we have lots of cows listeners who are out there trucking as well. But some of the folks who dialed in, first few folks, line should be open. Feel free. Uh, yes, may I be heard? Uh, yes, sir, our young Bay Area scholar. All right. Greetings to the rest of the callers. Um, I wanted to get on here to kind of talk about my um, job experience since last summer. So um, I applied to this new uh, sandwich shop on near uh, Boston. or it was, It's in Boston, but it's near my apartment. It was convenient. Um, I got the job and I started working around finals week of uh, last spring. And um, I originally wanted to have the job just as a summer because I realized that with school being over, I won't really have the job I had on campus as much as I did. But fortunately, I was able to also work on campus as well as this uh, sandwich shop. Um, the more important thing is um, – how how people, especially in the food industry, kind of treat college students compared to their regular workers. They kind of think we're just regular people, which is uh, – I'll explain. But um, around August, uh, I gave my two weeks' notice and said, okay, I'm giving my two weeks' notice. I'm going back to school. I don't think I can handle this and uh, the new semester since I'm advancing in credits. Um, it was great working. I gave my two weeks notice, and they were like, okay. And the thing was, I always mentioned it uh, most of the time. I mentioned it in my interview. I mentioned it uh, when I first started working. So they were well aw- somebody was well aware of it. Um, when it was my last day, um, everybody was saying goodbye to me, all this stuff. Um, but at that point, I... I had a coworker who was my age. We went to go to the same college. 
he referred to me he referred to me to my boss about giving me a promotion. I guess because I was a little uh faster than a lot of other people and I picked up really quickly. Um we talked about it and I was like, Okay, I mean, it wouldn't hurt. So my last day, one of my bosses comes up to me and is like, if you do decide to come back, we will have that promotion ready for you. So I had to think about that because um, it's a 50 cent increase, but I would have, you know, it's, it's great money. It's easy. You know, uh, I had to think about that. So it took me three weeks and I um, went back to working there. I didn't want to mention it at first because I was I'm not that type of person to just be all about it. I just want to wait to see if it happens first because that's how that's how I think it'll be real. So I waited for about a month, nothing happened. So I so I text my boss and I'm like, um, no pressure or anything, but I wanted to know about the status of the promotion. Is everything okay? All this stuff, and he. Straight up texted me and said, I don't know, you got to ask the other boss. And I was like, oh, okay. So I uh, gave it a couple weeks, asked my other boss to see if she got anything. She's a white woman. The first person I was talking to was like a Guatemalan man. So I, I'm, not, I'm not sure how that went. But I talked to the white manager, and I said, did you hear about the promotion? Is there anything okay about it? And she said, I never heard about it. I'll have to ask um I'll have to ask the other boss. So it's been back and forth, I guess. Nobody's really been communicating with each other about it. So then uh it came around early December and I just gave up on it because I asked pretty much every manager. I even asked the I almost asked the owner. I was thinking about asking, but then I just didn't want to get involved in that realm of um working because it, it wasn't really that important to me. But the whole time I just felt like I was just neglected because I work really hard. I come in early. I make sure everything is all set with uh, cleaning, prepping, all of the stuff I need to do. I do stuff without even asking because I know how this things work. So I knew I was worthy of it, I guess, quote, unquote. I knew I was worthy of it, but... I wanted to see if anybody would act on it because that's how I know it would be genuine. So then once I finished working there last semester, I realized, okay, so that manager said that just so he can get me back. He had no real intentions of promoting me because if he did, he would have acted on it immediately, but he didn't. And it shouldn't have to take me asking seeing my paycheck every week just at the same rate and seeing the schedule just saying I'm still a cashier or I'm still be a shift lead. All, my coworker got promoted to a manager before I even got promoted to a shift lead. They hired, these people hired other people as managers, which is okay because, you know, credentials uh, matter and that's fine. But, I just I found it interesting how they were willing to add more people to the schedule, hire more people as cashiers too. Yeah, it wouldn't even take the consensus to think about promoting me just for a fifty cent raise. So I thought about that a while over this winter break. 
Uh, and I'm, I don't know if I want to address it at all because I don't need this job. I only had it just so I can make some extra money over the summer. The only reason I'm still working is just because it's just extra money. It's not I'm dependent on this job. That's why I never acted upon that promotion. But um, what am I going to do now? I think I'm just going – I go back to work on Sunday. Uh, I think when school starts in a couple of weeks, I'm just going to put in my two weeks' notice and give it the best because – I don't see a point in working there anymore. There's no real benefit for me except for the money. There's no real saw about me unless unless somebody calls out and they need they need me to work because they're real easy with texting me asking if I'm available on my off days and when they know I have classes because I gave them a whole schedule, but. The promotion wasn't even it, – it, it was so difficult to couldn't even get the promotion. So thinking about that as well as, you know, how much they ask me for my availability, even on my off days and when I'm on break, and asking if I'll be available in the next summer and all that stuff, thinking about that, it, it was just really backwards for me, but then I realized that's just how they would treat black college kids because my white – Colleagues who were also in college didn't get that same treatment. They did not get that same treatment. They were lots of whatever. One of them was easily promoted as a manager. Um, just all that. Just thinking about that is just really. It was really. It was really an interesting experience. I'll say that. I wasn't mad or upset at all. It was just a great experience to have because now I know what that would be like and how to better act upon it if it ever did happen again. I was opposed I want I was thinking about just asking if it was even a thought, asking why that would be such a suggestion. When I said I was giving my first two weeks notice, why you would lead me on with the promotion. But then I realized, oh, it's because you need you need me. I realized they needed me. And they just didn't want to say that. They didn't want to sort of linger the promotion on me because they thought, you know, I would just go crazy over it because I guess black people love money. I don't know, but that's what I thought of it. As soon as that, that whole semester happened, I was like, oh, there's no real benefit to me being here. I'm not really looked at unless I'm needed. And, you know, you can just linger me with lies and, you know, it's fine because – He's just a college kid. He hasn't do much he, or whatever. But um, I wanted to share that experience. Um, I learned a lot from it. I know how to counteract it now. Maybe, uh, maybe I just don't need to be that dependent on the job. I'm definitely going to quit at some point, whether it's this month or next month. But I felt like I should just share that story because working off campus – as a college student, is it's a whole different experience. It's just like people don't even look at you, especially if you're black. Because I've had the same experience happen to another one of my uh, uh, one, another one of my friends, just in a different location. So I wanted to just share that. But uh, thank you for letting me share.
Bay Area Scholar, my goodness. Uh, folks who have been tuned into the cows, I guess, for some years. Now, 13 years in February, if you've been tuned in for a while, like you have heard him over the years, uh, growing up into the intelligent uh, young person uh, out doing all of his studies and brilliant things on the horizon. Um, and so mature in how he's handling it. Like, bravo, Bay Area mom, bravo, job well done. Um, I think that's the best attitude to have in terms of a learning experience, uh, particularly to get this sort of learning experience in a job that's not that's not like this is your career, you know. <laughs> this is this is where you were looking to hang your hat, so to speak, for the next twenty years and that like this is not that at all, you know. Um, so to be able to get that lesson, I would just add that this is not just how white people treat black college students. This is how white people treat black people. I think we talked about even recently, I think with someone you might know, white people can be very tacky when you are about to move on, especially if it's you're moving on to bigger and better things. Um, and particularly you, you're, I'm, you know, putting in my two weeks notice, I'm going, you know, school's kicking back in and taking more courses and that sort of thing. I generally encourage not sharing unnecessary information because you're a young person, young black male, going to school, well-educated. That intimidates lots of folks. Well, I'll put it this, I'll rephrase. I won't say intimidate. That angers many individuals classified as white. They have constructed their entire system to see the, you heard in the segment, they say the people that it was, it's going to be difficult to fix the pay gap people like you. They're not trying to give you a raise. <laughs> They're not trying to see that you get the same thing as everybody else who works there. So they're not going to be, oh, my goodness, what a, a intelligent, hardworking young guy. Like, we should give him a promotion. We, sh we should make him a manager or at least a shift leader. He said, no, 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 no. We just need workers. We got that labor shortage and all, like this nigger comes on time and all the rest of it. We'll just do the same gang because they do this all the time. They will promise verbally a black person a raise or you know, a promotion or whatever. They might say that they'll, they'll give you a certain salary. And then you get there and you don't get that salary or you don't get the raise. Look at him. He was so courteous, professional not pressuring anybody. I just want to check in. You said I was going to get the raise. Am I going to get, oh, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> that is so standard. Like, that is like, we've heard that so many times. That is like cliche. That's how we talked about before recommending for like serious when it's career time job, any discussion of salary, raise, promotion, let's get this in writing so that this is not just some, you know, random talk, and I don't remember, and I might have said that as a suggestion. Let's get this written down so there's no confusion. Date, time, when is this supposed to start, all of the rest of it, so that way we don't have this. We got to go back and talk. Did you talk to, oh, I don't remember. Did you tell, I, I don't think I remember. Did I say, no, I don't think, no, no. And then I, and as he said, all these other people coming in, they get hired, promoted. <laughs> We're like, dang, what? Same thing the fella said at the census. Like, I'm sitting here. 
confused, and I don't understand what's happening. I just know something is amiss. I would only add uh, the part that you said credentials matter. Very sadly, in the system of white supremacy, often that is not the case. Credentials frequently do not matter because frequently, I don't know these white people who got promoted and what have you, but I mean, woof. Uh, they got statistics. Uh, this is in Clarence Lusane's book, Pipe Dream Blues, that a white man who dropped out of college is more likely to get hired for a job than a black male with no criminal record and a college degree. Sometimes I've even seen this with a white person with a criminal background is more likely to be hired than a black person with no criminal background and a college degree. But either or, no, unfortunately, it is not. I don't know, some of these white people, they might, might find out that this is somebody's nephew, niece, because they got a, ne- a lot of nepotism, too. Might not necessarily be a criminal or a crackhead or what have you, but sometimes it could be that, you know, this is the manager's cousin, you know, brother-in-law, that type of thing. Lots of nepotism within the system of white supremacy where, no, they're not hiring the most qualified person or a hard worker, somebody who, like you, looks like they're going to do a good job, be serious about this. No, no, no. My sister's been bothering me to hire her brother-in-law, get him a few hours. He's so lazy. Or to get my cousin, he's lazy. His mom's getting on my nerves. I'm going to get him a few hours. Forget this nigger. That sort of thing is rampant. And then they can't get your promotion straight, can't value you, and just come out and say, hey, man, you are a great worker. We value you. What's wrong with that? Everybody likes hearing that. That's the type of thing sometimes that someone might reconsider. If I'm going to leave this job, you know, this is just whatever. I'm just doing this to make some money. Like, hey, 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 we value you, man. Stick with us, man. You know, we know this is not your, you know, work forever type thing. But while you, yeah, you're a great employee. We love having great employees. We'll pay you a little bit extra and, you know, make what? No, no, no. But we know how to call you on your day off, isn't that? How many folks here have heard that one? We know how to text you on your day off. We know how to nag you. And he said, you have my schedule. You know when I'm in class. You know I'm not available. Well, we call anyway. You might want to make some sandwiches instead of being a scholar. Doesn't get any better than tacky. Through and through, tacky. Good riddance to bad rubbish. Uh, you can give your two weeks notice and peace out uh, and, you know, look for some bigger better horizons. But I mean, that is really, I would say just keep that in mind because that is so common, the verbal promise of something from a white person and then they don't deliver. That is, I mean, that is like standard operating procedure. And the manipulation, if they thought, I think I'm so convinced too that some of this is just general disgust at seeing a black male in particular trying to be a studious go out and accomplish something constructive, they hate, I mean, absolutely despise that. You tell them, I'm going and picking up more credits. Oh, 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 like kryptonite. Oh. Try not to, for all of us, try not to, as best we can, reveal any unnecessary information. Just, I got, you know, other plans for my time this fall or what have you, and I just don't think I'm going to be able to continue working. It's been great. Thanks for the experience. But great lesson to learn at a young age. Wish I had got, you know, started off with some of the lessons. And again, bravo to Bay Area mom that is, you know, 
the results of uh, quality attempted counter-racist parenting. Definitely keep us posted uh, on your transition, the COVID situation at school, all the rest of it. Like, uh, but it sounds like yeah, you are you're doing a marvelous job following logic, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super grateful for the update, young sir. Uh, staying safe while you're doing all of that. Glad not going to Germany. I guess I can too. I'm glad you're not going to Germany. Uh, at least right now, go in the summer, and I would like gummy bears if it's not asking too much. Go in the summertime and gummy bears. Uh, other folks who dialed in, if you have a hand up commentary to share, uh, line should be open. Proceed. Maybe her? Uh, yes, sir. Nick over the road. Uh, this is Dread 138. Oh, I'm sorry. My apologies, sir. Dread 138. My apologies. No worries. No worries. Um, good evening, Gus. Good evening, callers. Good evening, listeners. Um, a couple of commentaries on some of the segments. The salary transparency seg- segment also clued into the professor's comments as well regarding the women and non-white males. That was um, fascinating. <clears throat> the census segment, what I noticed was a foregrounding of so-called Latins. And I thought to myself, would some of these Latins be accepted as white? Um, what I want to offer is, I guess, because like, I promised the update on my COVID situation. I'm actually going back to work as of tomorrow. But I want to uh, write, as, uh, read just, I'm going to read to you what I wrote down as far as my notes and um, some of my observations. And what I said was, um, having escaped the clutches of COVID-19 twice, without many of the symptoms as widely reported, I found myself extremely fortunate. However, I must now navigate the hectoring I foresee occurring from white and non-white coworkers regarding me not receiving the um, COVID injection. The obvious course would be to avoid conversation, conversation as much as possible. But I wanted to conceive a strategy that should I not be able to avoid a conversation avoiding surrounding subjection. And then I thought I just want to offer a little bit of testimony. Um, I want to credit my adjustments to my eating habits to the listeners and to you guys as possible benefit to my resistance to more severe um, COVID-19 symptoms because, like I said, throughout 2020 and all, right, well, up until this this past calendar year, I had not suffered any any symptoms, and now I just suffered through two uh, two um, positive tests. I'll put it like that because I really didn't suffer any symptoms, but I I tested positive, and then I just want to echo your health, your the symptoms on taking your health and safety seriously. If you're not feeling well, stay home and take care of yourself. Resist the John Henryism because I did admit to, I feel guilty about not about calling out sick. Um, I'll mute my line with that. Thank you. Much obliged, Dread138. Um, eating is so important. They had a number of reports uh, talking about the importance of eating 
specifically eating to fight COVID-19 uh, and how that has not been uh, discussed enough uh, to eat well, uh, not having, you know, all these crazy, what they call SAD, the standard American diet, not just eating rubbish, fast food, McDonald's, and corn chips, Cheetos, and all the rest of it, um, fresh fruits, vegetables, lots of nutrients, have your body functioning well, not having all that unnecessary weight uh, on your body, not having your immune system being able to function at its best. Talked about all that, so bravo. Drinking more water and eating well, that is, you know, fantastic. More folks can just do that alone uh, to help in trying to feel better, period, and then looking at that as a part of dealing with COVID-19, trying to eat as well as they can uh, in the midst of all this. Um, I forgot he was updating us from before where he had tested positive. I'm glad you have not had any major, I guess, symptoms or complications thus far. Hopefully you can recover uh, ASAP. Maybe that's attributable to uh, eating a little bit better. Maybe. Can't say causation. But, uh, yeah, hopefully it will be a quick recovery and you won't have to deal with all this craziness too much longer. It has been, uh, man, two-year period. Wow. Uh, let's see. Other folks uh, dialed in with a hand up. I will check the switchboard. Just be patient. I will uh, get to all the folks who dialed in. If you have a hand up, we will get to you so that you can share. The number again, 720-716-7300. The code Five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. And again, the email until justice at gmail dot com. Feel free uh, again. The Supreme Court is hearing. We just talked about the COVID-19 test. They are, you know, reviewing all of this. Does Biden have the authority to require employees to get these vaccines and testing and all the rest of it? So we will have to see. I thought all of this was going to be contested in court for, you know, probably a long time. So we'll see how all of this unfolds. Uh, let's see. Other folks who dialed in with a hand up, proceed. Hello. Uh, yes, ma'am. Hello. Hi. Well, ma'am, it's yes. Go ahead, ma'am. Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Hi. Hey, guys. It's uh, Chantel. Uh, this is um, like biracial, Shani. Yes. Wow, cowbell and all. Uh, now, wait a minute. This is someone who called in and said on the air that codification in the workplace does not work. Did you say that? Do you remember saying that on the air? Um, I don't know if I specifically said it that way. I might have gave, like, maybe an example of why it would not work. But I don't know if I said those exact words. 
someone pulled me uh if someone you know called me on it i think i could put my hand on the archive if i had 24 hours of free time uh but nevertheless this is neutralizing workplace racism specifically so you're calling in workplace racism workplace situation correct yes ma'am let's hear it um so i currently um uh, working for a new well a software company i'm in the process of finding another job currently i work from home uh, we're on a hybrid schedule um uh, we had to get vaccinated. Um, if we didn't get vaccinated, I would have lost my job. Um, so currently, um, I had a discussion with one of my previous coworkers who was my manager. Um, he was um, uh, non-white, and um, he was probably one of the best managers I've had at any job. Uh, and he did leave the company, and I had asked him, you know, why did you leave? And he told me that he felt like uh, his manager uh, didn't respect him, and she did not uh, basically give him a promotion. And he felt like he deserved the promotion. He's been there for eight years, and he, you know, worked really hard for the position he was in, and he wanted to get a manager title. Um, and he told me why he didn't get the manager title, and her response was, he doesn't sound like a manager. And I had asked him, what do you mean by that? And she said, um, I guess because he's black, and I guess how he talks, I mean, he talks fine to me, whatever that is, I guess she felt like he wouldn't be in the best position to be a manager because I guess with him being a manager, you know, uh, they would be talking to a lot of higher up people. Most of them are white. Um, so uh, he wasn't happy about that. Um, so he ended up quitting. And uh, that same white woman uh, who told him that uh, kept nagging him to stay at the job. Uh, which did not happen, but what she did, which I thought was interesting, she did reach out to uh, another non-white male um, who works under her to talk to him to get him to stay. So she thought that by having another black male talk to him to get him to stay just because, you know, She's like, oh, well, he's black. Maybe if I get him to talk to him to say that will work. But my manager didn't, wasn't friends with this black male, never talked to him at all. Um, and that very same black male, who's, who's a VP, um, even said to him, hey, you know, I'll call and check up on you. That never happened. Um, so he just felt like, you know, there, there was um, – you know, some racist, uh, I felt like, uh, well, he felt like it was some racist undertone. I, I mean, I, I agree at the same time. I feel like there, she was, you know, judging him based on, I guess, his voice, which doesn't make sense. So I thought that was interesting. And uh, so once I saw that, um, you know, once he left, um, I was like, okay, I can't, because I worked under him. I was like, there's no way I can still stay at this job. 
And right now I'm currently the only woman, well, say black female on the team. Uh, it is mostly uh, some white males and uh, other non-white, another non-white males who are not black. Uh, so some, you know, um, uh, Asians. Um, but yeah, so currently I'm looking for another job right now. Um, because we just had two white males who quit. Um, I had spoken to them, and they told me they tried to counter-offer them to get them to stay, and they refused. Now, I'm wondering if I were to leave, which is probably going to be very soon, I'm wondering if they're going to counter-offer me, which I feel like I don't know if they would do that. So, but right now they're not aware. They're not aware that I'm currently going to be quitting. So, but after all that happened, with especially with how she was acting towards a manager, and I do sense there's a lot of um, there's there's, there's not a lot of uh non-white people at this, uh, well, where we're at in the office. Uh, We we got acquired by another company, but there isn't a lot. Um, It is mostly white men and women there. Um, So I plan on working fully remote permanently at another position. Um, I feel that works best for me. So... Uh, but that's it for me. Well, Chantel, she has been uh, a guest on the program, uh, incidentally talking about having a white parent. Um, sequencing, I talked about that so many times, and our timing here at the Cows. Now, we just had uh, our Bay Area Scholar, dial in, black male, and what do you say? I'm going to leave. Thanks for, you know, being professional, putting my two weeks notice. Like, oh, what? You're going to leave? Well, if you ever come back, you know, got a promotion for you and all the rest of it. He comes back, promotion, raise. Oh, no, I don't know about that. What does Chantel tell us? black manager, hey, I've been here, you know, you all are trying to to give me a promotion or trying to give me a raise. Why is that? I don't know. You don't don't sound like manager material. You don't sound like a manager. That is uh, is counter-racism 101. What does a manager sound like? And where am I deficient? You just have them explain that, write that down. Like, oh, my gosh, you can get that in writing. Like, it does not get any more flagrant. All that to the side. Black man says, oh, okay. I don't sound like a manager, in quotes. Okay. Uh, so me and my mumbo-jumbo will go on down the road. 
I would think the logical response would be, yeah, he's not managerial material. We're, gonna, we're not going to promote him. Just wasting time. Let's get somebody in here that we can groom to rise up and, you know, really be an asset in the company. No, 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 no. I want the nigger here. We're just not going to promote or whatever. And then with Bay Area Scholar, they do the fake he's going to leave, so we'll fake on a raise to see if we can get him to stay or come back, and then we don't give him the raise. There, they don't do the counteroffer or the, the raise fake. They go get another victim. Why don't you go talk to Charlie? Tell him to stay on the job. Tell him we love him. We want him to stay around here. I don't talk. She said, I don't talk to him, you know. <laughs> Hang out with him at all. I don't care with you coons. But you, go talk to him. See if you can get him to stay. That's why I said consistently. On the job, united, independent. You can't go on a job. You just cannot. Thinking that just because this individual is classified as black, just because they got some melanin. You see Naomi Osaka on Sesame Street? They had a whole uh, melanin tutorial. Someone had the the audacity to ask me if I thought it was constructive. Absolutely not. Give a counter-racist logic tutorial. That would be something. That would be impressive, constructive. Back to the topic. But, like, yeah, it can't just be let him go. He's worthless at no count. You know, go get a job. No, 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 no. And then be that sneaky and deceptive about doing it. Anyway, uh, the counter offer, like I said, it's labor shortage, so that will be interesting whenever you leave. Uh, I wouldn't talk to anybody in the, in the office, non-white people, anybody, if you really want to make sure that it's not shared, because you see how they manipulate victims. It's super easy. I wouldn't share anything with anybody. Uh, just do your business and two weeks when you're ready to roll, and that will be a great counter-racist experiment. How are you treated when it's time to leave? Do they try to manipulate you? Do they have some other folks trying to come talk to you and, you know, hey, Chantel, you really want to leave and all the rest of it? Or do they present you with a counteroffer? Might even present you with a promotion. You know, interesting, uh, interesting time to experiment the last few days while you're there. Um, that's so flagrant, though. Anybody in that type of situation, I would just be t- document, see if you get it in writing for somebody to say something that flagrant you don't sound like a manager and ask them to explain, like, immediate. Anything like that. You don't sound like a manager or you don't sound like the type of person. You don't seem like you're fitting in our culture. What is our culture? What is your culture? What does a manager sound like? Where am I deficient with regards to the company culture? What a manager sounds like? What improvements do I need to make? They should be – that's another one. Like, what's her name? Uh, Gilarducci. She was talking about the transparency in salaries. That's another one where you, if you can't explain it logically, not that you're being unfair, you're probably practicing racism, white supremacy, if you can't explain it. You don't sound like a manager and all that other. Fascinating. Uh that's uh, been years since Chantel called into neutralizing workplace racism. Interestingly, she said, those black fellow left, it sounds like they don't have a lot of black people there. 
because Chantel does have a white parent. It's been my experience. White people are not ignorant about that sort of thing. And then she said Asian people and all these other so-called non-white people, but blacks get back. We do not want the Negro or we do want the Negro around just to kick him around and mistreat him, apparently. Tell him what a no-count defective employee you are, unworthy of promotion. Disgraceful. Much obliged and uh, good, or I guess uh, hopefully you'll have efficient job hunting. Uh, say lots of folks are looking, so maybe you'll be able to find something where you get a big boost in salary and uh, maybe a big office too. And uh, home, working from home, I think that's fantastic to avoid some of the tackiness. Uh, might help you to uh, kind of be incognito while you do your job search, if you can stay at home the whole time uh, while you're figuring things out. Excellent. I would just be codified and monitor. I don't know if they gave you a laptop or how that's working, but I would just be real mindful uh, if, you know, there's any monitoring or going on. But, yeah, if you can take advantage and be at home while you're figuring out your transition plan, A+. plus. Uh, let's see. Uh, give out the number again, 720-716-7600. The code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Uh, let's see. Other folks dialed in. If you have comments on what has been shared thus far, or if you have your own situation, feel free. While folks are, I guess, getting their thoughts together, I hope we do not have any black males who are spectating this time around, if you're listening live, where this sort of thing has happened to you. Either they did the, the fake on you, promised you a promotion or a raise or whatever, and then reneged on it. You try to leave, and then they try to manipulate you into staying. If we have any black males, any black people, period, but, I mean, seems like that is the pattern. But if we have any black people, you have experienced that one, especially if it's been recent. Definitely, I'd say, if it's happened within the last year, got to go ahead, star 6-1, put a hand up. If it's happened to you at all, you should share, because, I mean, we've already heard it twice. Especially, it should be absolute blasphemy. If you are a black male and this has happened to you, the fake out on the raise promotion, you try to leave, and then, it, oh, no. No, Toby, you can't leave. We love you, Toby. 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Let's see.
think at least one, or I think most of the folks who dialed in with the hand up line should be open. There might be one person where it's not doing, not functioning correctly. Let's see. Nick over the road. Nick over the road. Yes, sir. <laughs> hey, how's it going, sir? Greetings, everyone. Um, yeah, I didn't catch the first couple of segments. I think I just caught the last one. But in regards to the food shortage, there is like a supply chain issue out here in regards to getting food around to different areas. Um, and as far as the truck stops are concerned, yeah, there's, there, um, some restaurants are completely shut down. Um, other ones are opening later and closing early. Um, it's even like items on a menu are not available. Um, um, well, it's like my solution, like especially since like the little Whataburger incident or whatnot, I've gotten, well, I'm on my second air fryer because I didn't like the first one. Um, I got a George Foreman grill, a rice cooker, a blender to make my smoothies. Um, my truck, it has a fridge in it and a microwave. Um, so, yeah, I've been preparing a lot of my own meals out here and everything. Um, but, yeah, yeah, that's it's a thing now. So, yeah, like I see a lot of um, people setting up barbecue pits outside their truck, uh, barbecuing. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um yeah, that's it. That's that's all. Uh, I'll mute my line. Oh, wait a minute. Um, I sent you something to your um, your wish list on Amazon. Something you may be interested in in regards to walking in that ice. Um, let me know what you think about it. All right, uh, I'll mute my line. Oh my goodness, I'm excited. Uh, I will send you an email to confirm. That is, uh, I'm see, I'm glad I played the clip and mentioned that about the food for the folks that do the trucking, because like he said, I didn't know that. He said he had a refrigerator and a, uh, what you, now I don't use microwaves, so, you know, try to discourage um, use of microwaves, not the healthiest option, but, you know, I get it out on the road and such, you know, hot meal. Totally understand. But, um, yeah, I didn't know. I was thinking all caveman, like this is uh, truck driving from like the, you know, 1950s or something. 2022 truck driving where you can have rotisserie chicken and a microwave and a refrigerator. Like, oh, my goodness. Like, yeah, you can do it to it. Like, I would not ever, if I had known that, like, oh, my God. There would never be an excuse to have to stop and get food from some race soldier. And I got to wonder, like, you know, have they spit in my coffee or what did they put in my Danish? And, you know, why are they giving me this discount and all the rest of it? Like, oh, yeah, it would be hooked up. Air fryer, if I could have a microwave in there, see if I could get the air fryer in there, whatever, my blender, like, eating great. Like, uh, I don't know, maybe the summertime? I could probably do the grill too, like have some veggie kebabs and 
do an impossible burger, you know, feeling like you want to do the burger thing. But, like, oh, yeah, no excuse to eat poorly or to have to depend on racists. That's the main thing. Or I guess that's 1A, 1B. Eat healthy and then not have to depend on racists to put food in our mouth on our plate. And the soups, oh, man, if you have uh, a hot plate microwave like you said you have or what have you, you can get soup. They have, like, canned soup now, like really good um, plant-based plant soups. They're widely available. Uh, I see them at all the, like, grocery stores around here. You don't have to go to any of the specialty ones. They are uh, well-priced. They are hearty, very filling. Uh, you can make a full meal out of it, and you will be ready to roll until the next meal. So that could be, matter of fact, that could be a whole, like, uh, like cookbook, talk about codification, like cookbook for being on the road, like just foods and things that you can do, oatmeal, because they have overnight oatmeal. You can put it in the refrigerator, leave it there for like eight, ten hours, you come back and it's ready to eat. But that could be a whole like uh, plant-based cooking on the road, making it easy and, you know, easy to, uh, easy and mobile, we'll say. Uh, but Nick over the road, much obliged. Other folks, he's not the only one. We have a number of folks, uh, Cal's listeners, who do drive uh, out on a like, long distance, like I said, like South Carolina to, you know, Oregon type thing. Get that code, especially about the food. Get that code so you don't have to be dependent on racists feeding you as you are out and about. Uh, let's see. Other folks who dialed in with the hand. Did we miss another female caller? My apologies. I'm so sorry. There was. I thought there were. Uh, we had multiple females who spoke at one point. I got confused. Is there another female caller who was with us? Maybe I was hearing things. Do we have another female caller? Might have just been me hearing things. Or I'll, at least I can go back and listen to the archives, see if I, uh, my ears were mistaken. Other folks who dialed in with a hand up, commentary, proceed. Can I be heard? Uh, yes, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, listeners, and callers. I am Young recently, yeah, I'm recently recovering from uh, COVID. There is a severe outbreak in the schools. Luckily, they, this week they were able to shut down due to uh, the weather. Teachers are leaving uh, the, schools, the school district in which I work at high demand. Uh, they are going to uh, other districts closer to home. Uh, at least 20 have left this year, free from the school I currently work at. My uh, job description has been changed at least three times. Uh, my COVID recovery, my uh, w the worst effect was the uh, third day. I had trouble going up and down the stairs, but uh, I had uh, loads of fluids and veggies, and I am on the road to recovery, just a uh, cough right now. All I have for now, I need my line. Wow. 
take it seriously, folks. We said that, you know, uh, for some time. Take it seriously. I'm not surprised about the outbreak in the schools just because it's been so crazy and with so much confusion about policy enforcement. We've heard that. We've heard that from other educators where they said doesn't really seem like they're enforcing the, you know, testing, said that they weren't tested as an educator. They didn't get tested when they went in to go teach before they accessed the students. And there's been so much confusion. You have lots of parents uh, where they're, you know, not going to wear a mask. My child's not going to wear a mask and, you know, all the rest of it. So, and then we just had the holiday and, you know, people probably did their traveling and hanging out with relatives and going into a lot of people's houses and such. So I'm not surprised uh, about the schools being a dangerous environment right now. Take it seriously. That second caller that, you know, we talked to said, hey, making what they eat a part of how they, you know, try to nourish and recover from all of this. Get those veggies, fruits, plant-based meals, lots of nourishment in uh, for your system. Uh, again, maybe that's something we should have been talking about more, like everybody, not just me, uh, during the whole two years of all of this. But same thing, uh, you and uh, Dread138, very speedy, efficient uh, recovery. Uh, hopefully you can uh, just get lots of rest. Uh, stay in, eat really well, and uh, take your time. Be back when you're ready to roll. But, man, same thing I said at the beginning. We talked about Amazon and all the rest of it. Take your health seriously. Uh, certainly, and I mean, this is young academics, so we already know. Uh, the white heifers that he work with, works with do not care about his health and well-being at all. So you really make your priority, make your health top priority. Let's see. Uh, other folks uh, who dialed in with a hand up, uh, if you have commentary to share, proceed. May I be heard? Yes, sir. Thank you guys for taking my call and greeting everybody on the line. Yeah, um, about the uh, the caller who uh, said he feels devalued at his uh, current plantation, I can totally agree with that sentiment. I've been in my plantation for the last um, four years, maybe five years by this September, and I'm trying not to make it to the fifth year. I'm trying to exit this plantation for something else before then. Um, the truck driving situation, I remember last week there was a report about um, only 10% of truck drivers are owner-operators. And um, I guess some of the callers who are truck drivers can uh, 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 let us know if that is accurate. And, um, and from what the report said last week, those are the only type of truck drivers who can kind of make their own schedules. So it'd be more conducive to their uh, a healthier lifestyle. Um, about the um, unemployment disparities between uh, black males and everyone. Um, I think uh, I was listening to a a uh, the, the cows podcast a one with uh, Dr. Welsing, and she was talking about the system of racism, white supremacy must create these type of disparities between uh, white people and um, non-white people, particularly um, black males, because of the fear of uh, white genetic annihilation. Um, 
So that is, I guess, to be expected. Um, uh, and um, I also wanted to uh, uh, bring up uh, about the vaccination uh, mandates for or my employer. Um, I put in for a religious exemption, and it is looking like it will go through. So I guess I'll um, end it on that note. But thank you, Gus, for taking my call. And good night to everybody on the line. Wow, got the religious exemption. Uh, maybe you can let us give the update uh, if they finalize it, uh, where you are declared exempt. You don't have to go through all that. That would be awesome. Um, I guess for other folks, yeah, I guess be mindful. Um, you know, whatever options you have. I know we have some folks who've been pretty staunch the whole time, not taking the vaccine. I don't care what happens. I don't care what they report. I'm not doing it. Uh, we've had other folks who said, you know, they got the vaccine and, you know, have been fine, haven't had any symptoms per se. Um, I think we just Chantel said she got vaccine. I don't, she didn't seem like she was too happy about it, but she did say she got vaccinated. If she could let us know if that was, you know, something she's, you know, disgruntled about. Um, but yeah, that's outstanding. You put in the paperwork and won't have to do it. Like, great. Especially maybe even see, you know, what happens with the Supreme court decision that might change things too, uh, to see how all that, you know, concludes. Um, but I, I think I'm not a trucker, like the same thing I said before, uh, but I believe one, uh, one of our other victims, not Nick over the road, who dialed in, who's talked about all of that with trucking and things, just from him talking about how difficult it's been for him to try to go into business for himself, uh, licensing and things, said, you know, consistently, uh, being so-called self-employed, it just means that you change how you're going to be dealing with white people. So now it might be you're going to talk with them about licensing. Whole another element of racism right there, whether it's, you know, how much they're going to say it's going to cost you to get this license or how much scrutiny you're going to be subject to before we give you this license, if we give you this license, that sort of thing. So it would not surprise me at all if it's a very small number of black people, non-white people in general, who actually own the vehicle and what have you, you know, I'm sure it's a lot of folks who are renting or they're working for somebody else, that sort of thing. Compromises how much money you're going to make. And same thing you said about being able to have a healthier schedule, can uh, adjust your hours so it doesn't have to be as oppressive with all the driving and what have you. Uh, much obliged, sir. Again, maybe give us an update once it's finalized if you get your religious exemption. Uh, let's see. Other folks who have comments here, especially if we missed you totally, please do not wait till the last minute. If you think you have uh, commentary, uh, suggestions to share, comments on, you know, what's been discussed thus far, if you have any tips uh, that might help folks solve some problems, uh, feel free. I can only emphasize again just from Chantel because that comes up so many times. We've heard so many uh, non-white people, victims of racism, who've had problems, been disappointed or angry uh, outright where there was another non-white person on their job, particularly someone classified as black. And it turns out that this person is not, you know, your black brother. This person is not, you know, down for the cause and all the rest of it. You know, you said whatever to them and they went and snitched and told white people everything and all the rest of it. That's just, you know, we're in a system of white supremacy racism. When you're on the job, 
United Independent, you are not there thinking that you got anybody, not one person. Even if you got relatives that weren't there, not one person has your back. That's the way that you have to think. You are totally by yourself. That's the way that you talk. You're not talking recklessly about things that are happening, you know, in your life, uh, things that you're experiencing. That's why you're definitely not having conversations about COVID-19, what you think about the vaccine, yay, nay, for, against, none of that. These are not your friends. These are just colleagues. Everything should be focused about the workplace environment, not, you know, your personal thoughts, views, political leanings, like none of the above, even if it's another nod. I say that all the time. Not talking about these things with someone classified as white or non-white. Even if you worked in an environment with all black people, I still wouldn't be talking about these things. None of this is acceptable for the workplace and frequently can cause a lot of problems. So just bears with you because I hear uh, just so many folks run into problems uh, where, you know, another non-white person on the job and for some reason like, oh, wow, this is my homie. This is my friend. You know, the rules of logic do not apply. I can be real reckless with what I'm talking about and what my conduct is. Big mistake. Every time, I would say. Uh, let's see. Other folks who dialed in, if you have commentary to share, line should be open. Proceed. spectating, I reckon. Give them a second to get their thoughts together. Other folks that we missed totally. Again, no waiting until the uh, last five minutes of the broadcast. If you have commentary, observations, suggestions to share, uh, we should be here for the compensatory call-in uh, tomorrow, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, we'll review, I guess, the first full week of 2022, uh, recognizing one year since the January 6th terrorism uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, they had lots of white rhetoric about this uh, that this week. Uh, the passing of Sidney Poitier, have to make sure we get the sound clip in. Uh, man, lots of folks uh, seemed like transition towards the end of 2021, and then Sidney Poitier, at least he was 94, passing away at the age of 94. So still, I suspect if the system of white supremacy racism were not here, he would have had more than 94 years motivation to solve this problem. But the late, great Sidney Poitier, also a cowbell, but he passed away this week. Uh, we'll review that as well as some of the other uh, really important events um, Oh, Maxine McNair, yeah, that'll be tomorrow. Lots, lots to discuss tomorrow, compensatory call-in. That's coming up. And we should have a white man on the program on Wednesday to discuss reparations. Uh, I had to go back in my memory. We've had a lot of discussion about reparations on the cows over the years, 13 of them. I'm not sure we've had a white guest 
uh, talking about reparations, but that should change on Wednesday. Uh, the program time is irregular because this white man is in a different part of the world, which is even I'm the more curious about all of this uh, and his work on reparations in the state of California specifically. But that will be in the middle of next week. Uh, we'll give more details about that. And, again, that will be at an irregular program time. So be mindful. It will be much earlier in the day. Anywho, uh, for workplace racism, uh, I will take one moment to share the report about the vaccines just because that's today. So it will be really, really current. Uh, we were talking about the vaccine. Like I said, it sounded like Chantel was not exactly pleased, or at least she wasn't excited uh, about her vaccine experience. Uh, she said she had to do it or she was going to lose her job. Uh, the Supreme Court is reviewing that right now. Uh, let's hear uh, their report, and then we'll check in and see if some of the other folks who are spectating got their uh, thoughts together. This is so current, I didn't really get to hear this and don't really know much detail about it, other than the Supreme Court is uh, reviewing whether or not, you know, it was constitutional, legal for Joe Biden to make these changes, make people have to go and get the jab. So let's hear what they said earlier just before we went live. At the U.S. Supreme Court today, the conservative supermajority seemed ready to invalidate one of President Biden's vaccine mandates. NPR legal affairs correspondent Nina Totenberg reports. At issue in the nearly four-hour argument were two regulations, one that imposes a vaccine mandate for all workers at hospitals, nursing homes, and other medical providers that receive federal Medicare and Medicaid funds. The other is a separate vaccine or test mandate for private sector companies that employ 100 or more workers. But even as the justices debated some pretty dry-sounding statutory and procedural issues, the pandemic itself crept unalterably into the courtroom. Two of the lawyers challenging the Biden administration rules made their argument via telephone because they have COVID. And Justice Sotomayor, a lifelong diabetic, was not in the courtroom, choosing instead to participate from her chambers. In the first case, the vaccine or test mandate for most private sector workers, that ran into a buzzsaw right off the bat. Chief Justice Roberts immediately cast doubt on the regulation issued by the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA. This is something that the federal government has not, never done before, right? Justices Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Thomas, and Alito indicated even more strongly that in their view, the regulation at minimum went too far. The OSHA statute contains language giving the agency broad powers to enact emergency regulations when it deems it necessary to protect workers from grave danger. But those four justices strongly suggested that Congress would have to specifically authorize a vaccine or a test mandate in a new statute. The Chief Justice and Justice Barrett were less categorical in their approach, but both were clearly skeptical of the regulation. The court's liberal justices were, quite simply, incredulous. When Justice Thomas, for instance, questioned the necessity of the mandate or test regime, Justice Kagan had this reaction. This is a pandemic in which nearly a million people have died. It is by far the greatest public health danger that this country uh, has faced in the last century. And this is the policy that is most geared 
to stopping all this. Justice Breyer noted that technically this case is before the court on an emergency basis because the business groups and states that oppose the regulation want the court to block a lower court decision that allowed the rule to remain in place. Are you really asking us to block the regulation in the public interest, Breyer asked? Is that what you're doing now to say it's in the public interest to stop this vaccination rule with nearly three quarters of a million people? New cases every day? I mean, to me, I would find that unbelievable. Lawyer Scott Keller, representing the challengers, noted, however, that states can impose their own vaccine mandates. That prompted Justice Sotomayor to counter that some states have made vaccine and mask mandates illegal. The OSHA rule, she said, is exactly the kind of national rule that Congress provided for in the statute. In the second case involving health care workers, the court's conservatives did not seem as unified in their hostility. As the chief justice observed, this regulation was different because it's based on the long-established principle that when the government funds a program, in this care Medicare and Medicaid, it can put conditions on how the money is used. The chief justice put it this way. We're dealing here in this case with health care, with Medicare and Medicaid, and what could be closer to addressing the COVID-19 problem than health care? I mean, people already get sick when they go to the hospital, but if they they go and face uh, COVID-19 concerns, well, that's, that's much worse. An infuriated Justice Kagan put it more bluntly. The one thing you can't do is to kill your patients. Today's special session was heard on an expedited basis because the OSHA regulation is about to go into effect and the Medicare and Medicaid vaccine mandate for health care workers has been blocked by a lower court. So the Supreme Court is likely to act within days. Nina Totenberg, NPR News, Washington. Context of white supremacy. So... That'll be something we can be mindful uh, about because the new year, some of these uh, mandates and if you have to test or what have you, uh, will be going into effect soon, even around the world. I uh, think Austria and some of the other areas, I think February and the very beginning part of this year, they'll have the same type of mandates where you'll be fired if you don't, you know, if you're not vaccinated. And even put that in quotes, vaccinated now, it might mean that you've had two shots and a booster. So... Lots to pay attention to to see if, you know, any changes happen or anything else goes through the courts. Uh, Be very mindful, even changes to the policy and procedure uh, where you work to see, do I work at one of these companies where they're saying, oh, man, you got to have the booster or you're no longer considered vaccinated. Take it very seriously. Also being mindful of, you know, what's happening locally, nationally, internationally uh, with policy, procedure, requirements, very confusing times. Uh, let's see. Other folks uh, who dialed in, especially if we missed you totally, uh, if you have commentary to share, proceed. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, I was uh, forced to get vaccinated. I only found out that I had the COVID from an at-home test that was given to my grandmother because my aunt works in a doctor's office. It was impossible for me to get uh, tested at the location I work. 
They used to require that I get tested weekly. Now they don't even ask. Before the uh, lockdown, uh, we had a mock. Before the uh, before the uh, shutdown, we had a. Uh, I mean, before before winter break, we had a mock lockdown. Student says that it was fake. Teacher's response was by saying that the same thing the student thought and said in Minnesota. Uh, these are from my notes. Student was uh, walking slow in the hallway. Uh, uh, the teacher yelled at him to walk faster because this is New York, not Atlanta. And this was said during a lockdown. Uh, we had a, a, a white female teacher just walk out. Uh, I talked about the three resignations since the beginning of the year. Uh, oh, I overheard a joke from a, a white teacher in the hallway. They were, uh, they said that teachers are calling out to uh, quarantine, but it's not. It's to take time off of work. I know that the teachers in elementary schools that I uh, work around have classes of 60 students. I know this because the teacher's wife is a secretary at a neighboring school. They were talking about Trump and Biden and how Biden is doing better, heard all through an open doorway. Uh, overheard teachers talking about a homeless woman that lives under the bridge and wonders if she will survive the winter. Uh, overheard them talking about people calling the state to complain because they feel like she is doing whatever she wants and it's time for her to be removed because the sidewalk is growing into her apartment. Uh, this is probably how I got COVID. Uh, I, I, my after-school job, the principal snapped at uh, students and took up a dirty mop and started mopping uh, the table. I was told this from the uh, lunch lady. She had to go behind him and clean it with bleach. And that's all I have from my notes. She grabbed a dirty mop head to clean the tape. Now, I'm ignorant, but my understanding, they don't just let anybody in the school to be an educator, young academic, participated for years, has told us about all the many, 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 many obstacles. Paperwork, got to do this, take this class, get this degree, blah, blah, blah to teach. So I would think if you got to that point where you're like in charge, disciplining children at a school, looking like you might be a teacher or worse, <laughs> meaning you might be an executive, assistant principal or whatever it is, I would think you know what a mop is. Even if you don't mop, you've seen one of these through the course of your education. A mop head on the t like, and like you said, in the middle of COVID, I'm using a mop head on the cafeteria table. That's another one. Like the more I even think about it, like are these non-white suits that she's working with? Like, oh my god! Like, that's kind of a white woman disdain for non-white suits. If that's what this is, now these are white students, and you know, just whatever. 
I reckon, but I mean, if this is a lot of non-white students here, wow. These are uh, non-white students. This location is known as the catch-off for all students that leave uh, different schools in the area. And uh, this is like the last location you could uh, possibly go to to get educated before uh, having to uh, be like in one-on-one uh, -on -one classes with uh, someone. So uh, this uh, school, every couple of years, they go through uh, principals. And unfortunately, this year, we have a white male who uh, he necessarily doesn't like me, so I've known not to uh, say anything to him. And he, we have a, uh, under him works a uh, black female assistant principal, and I've known, I, I know that he said stuff about me to her, so me and her just don't have any types of communication. I just say hi and bye. But uh, this is at the after school location, and uh, it's COVID. It's still a high uh, mouse problem in the schools like at every uh, classroom I work in there there is mouse poop on the desk and this is before and after school and right before the break I had a mouse in my classroom that ran across a girl's uh, boot into another classroom white a gentleman walks out the classroom and I tell him that a mouse just ran into his uh, classroom and he proceeds to have an argument with me about uh, how a mouse did not run into his classroom. And then a few minutes later, we heard like a commotion and the mouse was in the other classroom. But this is just the uh, small things that I have to uh, go through on a, a daily basis working in the uh, school system. Huh. I see that, that context, you're not ignorant. It's not that you don't know what a mop is. You just don't care. This is the catch-all school, as he said, you know. This is what I think. This is more a representation of what I think about you all, maybe all of you. Now, even just in the folks that we've heard from today, now, there's a pattern right there. Black males everywhere. Why are they all struggling to get promotion? No, but I'm not saying that, you know, black females don't struggle, too, to get promotions and all the rest, but I mean, woo, right across the board, everybody. Incidentally, how, how did you ascertain that the white male principal, I guess his black female secretary or whatever her title is, whatever job she has, how did you ascertain that he's been like doing some gossiping to her, saying some bad things about you to her? I am told this by a Hispanic female that works there. Uh, during the day, and she also uh, works there after school. Now, they try to get rid of this same Hispanic female, but she uh, keeps a workplace racism journal. And uh, once they try to uh, get rid of her, she pulled out the workplace racism journal, and uh, she didn't have any problems after that. But uh, this is how I uh, found out this information, and she tells me to watch myself and watch what I say or whatnot. And uh, I'm the only black male that works in this location, and oft, oftentimes the things that they do at this one particular location is highly illegal, and I cannot do anything about it because every, everyone's in on it. An example of this is before the break, we just had a, a state-mandated inspection, right? And uh, the suspect, inspections are supposed to be surprised, but uh, it, they're all done in-house, so uh, 
they have the mouse problem, and I expected that uh, I was going to be able to point that out, but it was all done by teachers. It was, my inspection was done by the teacher who uh, teaches in the classroom that I take over after school. And uh, they uh, let everyone know they're not supposed to do this, but they let everyone know the date and the time of the inspection. And uh, when there is like a uh, – if they were just to show up on site, they, we use this code. It says that uh, they say it's raining outside, and that's, that basically means that the state is in house, right? And uh, uh, mind your P's and well, mind your P's and Q's, and uh, basically fake it till you make it. But uh, this is what they do. Well, for like mm, maybe thirty seconds. I was going to inquire because I don't use the word Hispanic. Uh, is this a white person or a non-white person? But as I was listening, and he got to the part where this so-called Hispanic female, she keeps a workplace racism journal. They were about to fire her, and then she burst out her workplace racism journal. That kind of made me think, oh, okay, maybe she's not accepted as white. If she was white, she probably wouldn't have a workplace racism journal. She would just be practicing racism. Anywho, my logic could be wrong, but I'm sorry? She is a retired grandmother, and they, uh, because they do not want to pay people normal wages to come into work, they uh, either have her come out of retirement and work during the day, or uh, they have, uh, they'll, they'll have someone like me come in, and they'll, then they hire uh, two high school students, and they don't give the high school, high school students, like, uh, job duties or responsibilities, so they pretty much walk around on their phone. So uh, it's, it's that situation. And with the mice, they're so bad that they're in the ceiling, right? And uh, I was teaching, and I looked up, and you could see them, right? And uh, I literally had to tell the kids to pretend that it was Mickey Mouse so we can get through with the lesson. I teach uh, second and third grade. And it's just, it's horrible. It's no one I can go to to complain about this because it's all in-house. Everyone that works here is corrupt. And that's, you basically get a job by uh, nepotism. You have to know someone to work there. There's that word again. Two weeks in a row, at least the second time today, uh, our Bay Area scholar, brilliant young mind, way smarter than Gus T, just pointing out, like, no, credentials don't matter in the system of racism, white supremacy. You could be a brilliant, competent, qualified black person. Get out of here. You could be a no-count, shiftless, dropout, uneducated, uncouth white person, and, hey, Manager's my uncle. Job is mine, Coon. Nepotism. A lot of those isms. The same thing I said, get to repeat myself. A lot of those isms are around there. None of them are constructive for black people. Uh, the, and the mice, I mean, you pick this up any way you want to. The mice spreading COVID around get the mop head to clean the tables off in the cafeteria. I just said that, make it more work for probably some non-white people who got to come in and clean up after that. Thank God they saw this, like, oh, my God, let's go wipe the table down again. All of that, 
all levels uh, in terms of just racism, white supremacy, mistreat the staff, mistreat the students, don't want to pay young academics, don't want to pay this non-white female, the grandmother that he talked about, who told him, hey, they sit around here and talk bad about you, or this white man sits around here and talks bad about you all day long, talks bad to you about this other black female that works here too, and see how common that is? That's just another example, since we talked about it before, in terms of you go on these jobs, United Independent. Now, he did get one. She looked out for him and told him this was happening, so he wouldn't be surprised uh, if this other victim, you know, is not courteous or doesn't like him. She's heard all this bad stuff about him all day long, so, okay, got it. That makes sense now. But it's still United Independent. I understand. I'm glad I got that information so I can have maybe a little bit more compassion or at least a little bit of understanding about why there might be some hostility between us. That doesn't make it any better. And that still doesn't make us friends, sisters, homies. I'm not her brother. None of that. System of white supremacy, they have so many ways of manipulating it. Matter of fact, go all the way back to that McDonald's segment, the coercion. You want some more hours? Well, come on, go home with me. System of racism, white supremacy has lots of ways to coerce and manipulate victims of racism especially to manipulate and have us fighting and feuding amongst each other. Disgraceful all the way around. Uh, I'm with document the grandmother, document. She sounds like she's right in the genius line, too. Document everything that's happened so you have as much information as possible and just being mindful. Like, I'm in enemy territory, having to be mindful for my health, Maybe happen to be real careful about not eating anything in this environment since they got vermin and everything else. And then the staff, you know, don't care. They're being all disgusting and gross with their protocols. Like, man, whew, that might be another environment. Like, I don't want to see if I can transition out of here when I can. Like, man, for my health and, and sanity, get to an environment where I can teach and in an environment, one that's safe, and then an environment that wants to encourage uh, learning for children. That's hard to find for an environment with black children, but wow. Young academic, much obliged. Uh, let's see. Other folks' comments that they would like. Matter of fact, before I trade that, when he said that, he said they had the code, not ignorant. Important, he said they had their code. Oh it's, oh, it's raining. It's raining. That means the staff coming. They're not even supposed to know that. All these inspections are supposed to be random. Talked about that with Amazon, right? The inspectors come, and they don't let them, you know, do their job or what have you, don't care about safety. This is even worse because there's children there. But it reminded me, remember Lean on Me? Principal Clark, he just passed away uh, last year, I believe. But, uh, Principal Joe Clark, they had the same <laughs> Get the chains off the doors. Get the chains off the doors. Oh, my God. The inspectors are coming by. And they got this. It's 2022, and they got the exact same thing. Having rodents is a little worse than chains on the door, but, I mean, I guess that is a fire hazard. But, uh, yes, the late Joe Clark. Uh, other folks dialed in comments that they would like to share. May I be heard? Caller in Florida. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. Um, 
Let's see. Uh, I have some reports I'd like to make. The first, I'm going to start out with, um, I guess, things in the customer service area. Now, what I've been speaking about is that there are two um, office areas in the department that I work in, uh, and the black people are on the um, research area side, myself, and two other black females. Now, one of those two black females uh, a few years ago was given the title assistant manager, so-called. So she, um, ever since we opened the drive-thru, when COVID-19 started to become very uh, widespread, so she is in an area in the corner, all right, outside of what's the center, which is the front counter where all of the lighter complected, mainly white people, are seated in a line where when the people come into the courthouse, they go through the double doors, they got they always have coverage, right? So when the people go to lunch, uh, the supervisor... I think is a white supremacist. I suspect she um, goes to sit up there if they need help and coverage. Now, when this person who does the marriage records or marriage licenses, she's a black female. So she's seated on the opposite side of where we are. Um, So the reason I'm starting out with this one is that they've done things in the past so that they can, well, at least in the last two years, to where they can prevent, I think, from providing coverage for her because she's pretty much by herself, and the couples have to go um, to the back of the lobby. So I guess they did this to uh, to keep her from, engaging with people or the public in an unsafe way. Um, So the thing is, is that the white people, like the supervisor, the overall supervisor, and the lady that just retired, which I think she's uh, abusing um, medications or drugs, in my opinion, uh, they try to avoid providing coverage for her. So she's had to go to lunch like maybe 15 to 30 minutes over the time she's supposed to be going, which is 1 o'clock. So recently, in the last couple of months, she's had a bell put at the counter where she works at the window so I guess these uh, white people will walk over to the black area, the segregated side, if she happens to be conversing with somebody on our side or she's talking about something. They will say, oh, well, your your bell's ringing. You know, someone's uh, um, wanting help to get a marriage license or something. And, you know, I started thinking about, like, a bell, really? 
you know, I'm thinking uh, it does sound like it's contributing to racism to me because for customer service, the white women at the counter in the middle of the area do not have nothing like Nobel or the white women on the other side where they go for civil and DR child support. They don't have that over there. But only for her, they've uh, installed this little bell. Okay. Uh, I wanted to mention that. And the new white person was helping to um, give a deed to a black female, uh, an uh, older lady. So they were trying to look for a deed that's back in the 1970s. Um, So the white person and uh, black female was trying to collaborate together to find this. Um, So they wasn't able to find the particular deed, property deed that the black female was looking for. Uh, So the lady just, I guess, started saying, well, you know, I don't want to take up your lady's time, you lady's time, so I'm just going to get up and, you know, go home or whatever. I'll just come back another time or whatever it was. So she was there like 15, 20 minutes. So she leaves. I got the phone in my ear so I can somewhere overhear what's going on. So the white woman says, oh, it's is it is it because I'm white, right? She says that to the black person. So the black person, the black female, she didn't say nothing. And her and many other white people tend to say, oh, I was just joking. Oh, I was just joking, right, to, to conceal what they really think. So I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to write that one down. Because I'm thinking, what does that have to, you know, do with anything? But they pretty much are thinking white supremacy pretty much all the time. So um, my next one is I was talking to, I think this may have been somebody classified as black. I'm not sure. But it was also about a probate order, about assets and uh, getting um parts of an estate, you know, and she said that she had spoken with me before, maybe like a year or two ago or whatever. So I wanted to mention this because it's good to have your emotions, control of your emotions and not getting upset, you know, so I put codification in place in a way of uh, just staying focused on trying to find what the lady needed help with. So I was on the phone with the lady for like 35, 40 minutes. So she was saying, yeah, the the other lady, you know, she was able to find this. Uh, So, you know, I'm asking questions. So um, what's the date of this order? Uh, Is there any other name or a party that's associated with this document? Asking questions. So she was like, oh, you're asking me the same questions and I'm trying not to get upset, you know, so, and I'm saying, well, no, I didn't really ask the same question. I'm just trying to make sure I find what you're looking for. 
You know, don't you want to look for the, don't you want to find a correct document and not just any random thing, you know? And she was saying, yeah, you're right, you're right. But I don't know why it's taking so long for you to find it. Um, and why do you sound so calm? Did somebody make you upset? You know, <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't really get the logic to that. She was asking if somebody upset me because I wasn't raising my voice. I was speaking with a low tone of voice. She thought somebody upset me. Something's different about you. You sound different. You know, that's what she was saying to me. I was like, no, I'm just trying to stay focused on trying to help you. I want to help find what you're looking for. Isn't that, you know, don't you want me to help you? So she was saying, well, I don't know what's what's going on. You, you, you seem to, to do better last time. And I just kept this repeating what I was saying, trying to stay focused. So I ended up helping the person with what she needed, uh, and I emailed her the document. Uh, so she was like, thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate your help and this and that. Um, uh, and I, I wanted to share one last thing. There was an issue last week where a black female I guess it came out to where she tested positive or whatever for COVID and the warden, um, she was walking around mainly talking to black people about who they've had contact with, contact tracing. They sent out emails and everything like that. But this past Monday, now, she's walking around, and I think she did this on purpose. Um, she was walking around with an extremely raspy, um, nasty-sounding voice, coughing, respiratory, you know, lung cough. Uh, now, she said in the email, "Don't if you feel like you're sick, if you have symptoms, don't come to work. Now, but on Monday and Tuesday, She's walking around with the new HR, and it's, and then the white person pointed out, hmm, she sounds kind of sick. So I've seen her maybe like another two or three times, and she's acting like she's not affected. She's still going to walk around. So I don't think she, you know, that's another example to me, like you having the status of being a white person, so I'm going to come into work and still walking around, walk around, and be a hypocrite, right? And still like, well, because none of y'all can't tell me what to do, and I'm going to still walk around coughing. And, yeah, she was wearing a mask and everything, but I still just think that um, it was tacky and unprofessional. So Wednesday, Thursday, and today, her vehicle wasn't in the parking lot, okay? Um, so, and I think, the racist click uh, got on major code and didn't say nothing about her being sick. I'm not sure if it's COVID. Possibly it is, but there's been other people who have tested positive and they didn't have the same reaction as they did to the black person last week, just last week. Okay. So I wanted to share those few things. Um, and thanks for allowing me to speak. Appreciate it. Much obliged. 
caller in Florida. Uh, I don't know. We should have maybe said something about that before. People in your work environment, they've done all this talking about it's been increased in alcohol consumption and substance abuse in general over the two years of the uh, pandemic. Maybe be mindful about your employees as well. See if that might be some of them. That's not really, you know, anything to laugh about, but, I mean, be alert about that sort of thing. That might impact, especially if you work in a job where safety is a major issue. Uh, you do welding or driving or something like that where you, hey, that's a major safety concern having somebody who might be nodding off or whatever the case may be. Um, he said he felt like one of the coworkers was abusing meds. Folks responsible for providing coverage, like, whoa, like, uh, man, they said it's been a lot of that over the two years. Be observant of your coworkers. Uh, in addition to her, uh, perhaps substance, be a lot of that for white people. They said that's how we got into this whole opioid situation, right? Easy for white people to get meds from the doctor, not so much for black people. Uh, he said not providing adequate coverage. Black female who's working. She's supposed to get her lunch break, and we get around to it, and she ends up going late habitually. That's a, I can attest to that personally. Uh, the environment where I worked in California, same thing. Sometimes I wouldn't even get a lunch break. They would be so habitually late about providing coverage. Does that sort of thing happen to other white people, just paying attention to that? Disparities, right? Talk about that, just being able to eat correctly or have a regularly schedule a break as opposed to I got to sit here and starve and maybe even I got some other things I want to do on my lunch break. Sometimes people have little errands that they want to try and do something that they can get it done in a quick 20 minutes. I can't even rely on that. Tackiness abounds. Let's see. And then the black female that's working up at the front desk, he said that they get uh, the bell for her and so, oh, oh, the bell is ringing. Got to get back around. Same thing. He said, look, do they do this for other folks? Is anybody else who's working to serve the public, do they have a, a bell to ring? That's, that's real Pavlov's dog. White scientists get the bell to condition people. Like that, I think I am very aware in some environments they do have a bell. If people work where there is some sort of desk or window, and the person might have to step away so they don't see you for a moment, so you can ring the bell to get their attention, come back and know that someone needs to be served. But it's not individual. It's not like this specific person and only this person has the bell. It's anybody working at this window or this desk area, bell to get their attention. That's not what he said. He's just the black female. Oh, someone's ringing the bell for you. Better go out there and get the get – the, that's real Pavlov dog, like, that's the way you condition, you know, animals. Dog, jingle some bell and get the, or the Negras, they do have that in quite a few movies, right? When they reminisce nostalgia about the old-timey slave plantation days, Masa has a little bell to jingle to get the Negros to come and answer my beck and call. Let's see, the... I've heard that personally, and that's very common. Oh, you said that because I'm white. Now, that's the sort of thing you can't even, in my view, you can't even make a joke about that and say, oh, I'm ignorant about racism. <laughs> how would, how is that even funny? 
regardless of the context, like how would you even be making a comment? What does you have to do? What does you being white have to do with anything? Even in a joking manner, what does you have to you being white have to do with anything? No, if anything, you are always thinking about white supremacy racism, even when you're joking, trying to deflect, oh, it's because I'm white. And I've even noticed a lot of times when they say that, it's a situation where it would be more, it would be more accurate, rather. Oh, it's because I'm racist, huh? That would be more accurate in terms of really looking at the context of when they're saying that. Maybe not. I could be ignorant. At minimum, you're not ignorant about racism if you're making that as a joke, in quotes. Uh, let's see. I don't even know what to say uh, about the trying to be help. I said that consistently, I guess. Be helpful, right? He said he thought it was a black female. Be helpful when you can uh, if you're talking to someone, victim of racism especially, uh, if you can help them out. We get downtrodden and, you know, talk bad about all the time. People don't want to help us. Ah, I can't, you know, get on my nerves, blah, blah, that sort of thing. Spectacular. But he said the, the poor woman, she was a victim, poor female, he said uh, she started, was getting frustrated, which could happen, I guess. You, you want to get this information and move forward. You've got serious business to attend to, and you can't find it. And uh, you've taken 20 minutes. You've got other things to do. And. All that, he says, man, taking all this time and I'm frustrated and, oh, my patience. And she says, man, you're just staying calm. Like, I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> like, I guess it's, it's been so many people have been frustrated and stressed, like bumping to somebody who's, you know, staying calm and not calling you names and yelling back, what you mean I'm taking too long at all? <laughs> I guess that's what she was, she wanted to go back and forth about it. He's like, no, ma'am, I'm, I'm just trying to have, even get in the question lane. Don't you want your document? I'm just trying to, you know, help you find what you need. Yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. Okay, I'm going to calm down. I just, you're so strange. You're not, you can call me a coon and, you know, hang up the phone and, and get rowdy about things. Like, I don't, man, she even, did somebody make you mad? Like, I don't get that either. Like, why would, why would I be calm? I'd be cursing like you. Or, I'm sorry, she didn't say she was cursing, but I'd be getting rowdy. I'd be impatient like you. Like, I'm, I'm I'm on the clock either way, really, if you want to look at it that way. Like, I'm going to get paid whether I'm here with you or whether they're threatening to shake me and, you know, all the rest of it. So I might as well get paid to help you out. I don't know. Folks have been acting crazy, so I guess it is kind of uh, rare to bump into somebody who is being patient, but said he was able to help her out, get her documents. That's, you know, win-win all the way through, and bravo for being patient. Doesn't that moron say that, be patient with other victims? Bravo. Uh, let's see. And then we talked about that equal protection, because I think you mentioned one of those last week where it was a black worker, and there was some suspicion that she might, you know, have tested positive or, you know, might have COVID. So, oh, man, we got to go through this and be really diligent. Anybody that you talked to or looked at or might have gotten close to, oh, oh con- yep, yep, got to get out. We can't take any chances and all the rest of it. Saying, man, they don't, do they do this with white people? And he says, she comes in, voices all raspy, and he's like, oh, she doesn't, she doesn't sound too good. What is she doing here? Where's the contract? Where's the equal enforcement, equal protection? You no, know, is this another case? Or not messing over my PTO? 
I got plans for my summer. I'm getting out. I've got my bikini. I'm not going to sit home and waste my time in January. Is that what this is? Or is this another one, like he said, I'm white. You can tell yes. me what to do. He said, <laughs> yes, sir. I really, I really think that's what it was. Because another victim, um, she said that uh, the warden, white woman, came over to her, and she, and she has a hatred for her. So, um, so she walked over there and was courteous and saying, "Oh, hey, good morning. How are you doing?" I think she was doing that to brag that her voice was sounding that way, and you can't do nothing about it. You know, I'm I'm white. That you know, that's what her conclusion was too. Like I'm here and I can tell you know y'all what to do. And you know she was there bragging Monday and Tuesday. I have been saying for about a good two months, one component of this COVID nineteen could have exposed at least for Gus personally. I don't understand what it means to be white in the respect of just all this white defiance, I just don't understand that. That's something I hadn't really thought about in terms of I'm a white person. You don't tell me what to do. You don't tell me to take a shot. You don't tell me to wear a mask. I don't care what's happening on the planet. That's for the niggers. You tell them what to do. You tell them to get a shot or they get fired or whatever it is. I'm white. Rules don't apply to me. That's something maybe I didn't understand. Maybe I still don't understand it. But that sort of behavior that I can go around here, tell these niggers to get out of here, and they go face it. She went around to all the other black people. Oh, you were you were with Susan the other day. She might have a positive. Yeah, we're gonna need you to quarantine. Can't take any chances. Public environment can't take any chances with anyone's safety. And patrons coming in here. She comes in. Here. <coughs> And he says, seems like she's bragging. Yep, my voice is raspy. Mm-hmm. I might have the Rona. You might have it too now. <laughs> and I don't understand that. I don't think that way. What I've been, same thing I've been saying the whole time. Take it serious. I don't want to get everybody sick at the courthouse. I'm going to chill out at home. Nah. What does it mean to be white? I say that all the time. It has been on display flagrantly for two years now, right in your face, our face, really. In the Make it and dare somebody, dare somebody to say something to you, right? <laughs> Shouldn't you be at home? Did we, you know, we just talked about this, right? We had other people had to go home and such, like, you know, Safety. This is Ron DeSantis land. I will add. Like I don't know. I don't know. White people might make her. She might have got in trouble with other white people if she had tried to pull that. Like maybe in Washington State or some of the other barriers. But I guess in Florida. Eh. Anywho, uh, we did our three hours. I don't think we missed anybody. Grant, I did feel like I heard another female caller back, uh, I think it was when Chantel first spoke up, but maybe I'm mistaken. Either or, 
we will be here tomorrow, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Pacific, uh, Pacific, compensatory call-in, catch up on the first full week of the new year, so-called. Uh, much obliged for everyone tuning in uh, this evening. Hope it was worthy of your Friday evening. Sobriety would be best, especially if you got any of those uh, late holiday get-together type things, extra sober. In addition to being sober, if you're moving out and about, uh, if you see somebody being hostile, rowdy, this is not a time for confrontation. You should be thinking this individual could be armed. Kyle Rittenhouse. In fact, this person, he, she could have an entire armed entourage. January 6th style, if you didn't leave your residence, prepare to kill and or die, exit. Not one that you want to get into and, whoops, is that an AR-15? Call enforcement officers, exit, you know, whatever, as you're vacating the premises. If you're in a vehicle, you are sober, you're buckled up, you're not on the cell phone, unless you're headless and all that stuff. Uh, we need all of our attention, paying attention to what's happening around us, and we're trying to do the small things to minimize contact with race soldiers, badge or no. All of that said, Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cal signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. No name-calling, no gossiping. Those are staples of racist behavior. We heard some of that today, too. Cal signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, brother. You're a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.